VOCM presents Open Line. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now your host, Patty Daly. Well, all right, and good morning to you. Thank you very much for tuning into the program. It's Thursday, August the 4th. This is Open Line. I'm your host, Patty Daly, and David Williams, he's the producer, don't you know it? If you're in the mood today and have a topic that you'd like to discuss live on the program, we're looking forward to speaking with you. Of course we are. If you're in the St. John's metro region, the number to dial to get in the queue, 273-5211. Or elsewhere, it's toll-free long distance, 1-888-590-VOCM, which is 8626. Now, I know this is probably only of any concern or interest to folks on the Northeast Avalon, unless you got family or friends rowing. In today's 204th running of the Royal St. John's Regatta, it's a go. Races have already started. They got off to a sluggish start. It looks like there was a little delay in the first women's race scheduled to go at 8 o'clock. But they're out there. High, High Flow Drolic are the defending women's champions. They won their first race. NTV defending men's champions. They won their race. They were the number one seeds going into it. Doesn't look like there's any records in jeopardy today. Uh, High Flow Drolic, they won at a time of 5.08. The record was set back in 2018 by M5 with a 4.56.10. Blazing fast time for M5. The men's records, I think NTV rode around a 9.39 in their race win this morning. And, of course, the record set back in 2007 by Crosby Industrial with an 8.51.32. That, I mean, the records are made to be broken, but that one is super quick. And so there will be history made on the lake today. For the first time since the Royal St. John's Regatta was in play, I think it's since 1816, the women's will ro- women crews will be able to, and now will, row the long course. That race at 10.50. Four crews are in it. Uh, Verso, who won the Come Home Year race, they're about two minutes faster based on the time trials and their competitors. So all four crews, of course, part of the history in the making. And one of these crews will be forever known as the first women's champions on the long course. Now for them, it's an interesting choice because their time in no way can be broken down to see anybody from that race qualify for the women's championships. Because as you know, throughout the course of the morning, the first six or seven races, we'll know who will be the six boats in the championship races that go later today at Kitty Vitty Lake. So defending champions, High Flodrolic and NTV, you want to talk about it? Let's do it. Also with the women rowing the long course, which I think is cool, you wonder what the other move on the men's side will mean for more and more male participation because there's a lot of female crews, good for the female crews, in the 71 races today, predominantly female. Now with the men able to just roll the, uh, the shorter course, will that be an attractive option? Because for some it's fairly daunting and potentially intimidating to roll the long one. But anyway, they're off to the races at the races. Hot, humid afternoon ahead. Now pretty calm, bit drizzle, overcast. Probably pretty good, conditions, uh, pretty good conditions to row in. But later today, maybe hitting 27 degrees, humid decks into the low 30s. Could be a different set of circumstances for the afternoon rowers. Are you heading down to the lake? Let's talk. Uh, congratulations, good luck, and safe travels. We've got some athletes who have already arrived in Niagara for the Canada Summer Games. Should be particularly exciting. A lot of folks will be keeping Look, we haven't done really well when it comes to finishing on the podium. For some people, that's not the be-all and end-all. It's a participation in the the allotted Canada Summer Games and or the Winter Games. But a lot of eyes will be on Jada Lee. I read a couple of stories that came from newspapers in Ontario talking about the Canada Summer Games, and they identified Jada Lee, 16-year-old Jada Lee, female from St. John's, pitching on the men's team, and she's got a cannon of an arm. But they're even looking at her in other publications talking about the Canada Summer Games, so I think that's pretty cool. Also, I want to say good morning and congratulations to one of the fixtures on the 
minor and amateur soccer scene, Dougie Redmond. Doug's going to be officially inducted as an honorary life member of the Newfoundland Labrador Soccer Association. There's a special ceremony coming up on Sunday at 2 p.m. at King George V. He was the president of the local association here for more than 20 years. He's been on not only the local boards, but provincial boards, national level participation. So Dougie's going to be recognized as an honorary life member, 2 p.m. on Sunday. And also, this this one here. So we have one more day if you'd like to vote for the mascot of the year in the ECHL. And Buddy the Puffin is part of it. And, of course, the story grows when we talk about the fact that the hockey community in the province lost a real special guy, Chris Abbott, this year. So if you'd like to not only keep Abbo's memory alive, but you'd like to see Buddy move on to the next stage of the mascot of the year, just go to ECHL.com and you can cast your vote right there. Okay. It was today in 2005 that then-Prime Minister Paul Martin appointed Mikhail Jean to be the Governor General becoming the first Canadian uh, Governor General of Caribbean descent. And of course, now with Mary Simon as the Gigi, the first Indigenous person. Speaking of the Queen's representatives, uh, the Lieutenant Governor, she'll be presenting a special Admiral's Medal to Brian Hill of Mount Pearl. 25 years of work researching icebergs, snow and ice as the supervisor of the Ice Tank Test Facility at the Institute of Ocean Technology with the National Research Council. That's a mouthful. So he has established a set of four 200-year databases in historical ice conditions in the North Atlantic. Been spent his entire career working in the Antarctic and the Arctic, and he's going to be recognized with the prestigious Admiral's Medal for his work. That will be presented on the grounds at Government House by the Lieutenant Governor Judy Foote on the 23rd of August. Congratulations to Brian Hill from Mount Pearl. And we see with the forest fires, some of them still not quite contained here that are raging in the province. There are several forest fires. Notably, there are fires of Paradise Lake, Beta Spear, Southern Lake. We all know the issues surrounding the closures and potentially more closures coming on the Beta Spear Highway. Much like when the province sent some help to the province of British Columbia when they were fighting massive forest fires, I think it was last year or year before, the province of Quebec is going to be sending some support our way as well. So there's going to be two water bombers, one bird dog aircraft, one air attack officer, two technicians, in Gander, they'll be here today. In total, seven crew members and three aircraft dispatched to the central region for a period of five to seven days to try to get those fires squashed. And we, I suppose, obviously, we'll take all the help we can get because you don't need those fires to get out of control. So if you're in and around those areas, you'd like to give us a shout, tell us what you see, what you smell. We welcome your call this morning. Okay. Again, sometimes when you bring up some of the more contentious issues, the immediate blast that we all get is that you're stoking fear, fanning the flames, fear-mongering, when in fact sharing information is exactly that. It's not in an effort to make anyone afraid or anything of the like, but some of the numbers coming from Stats Canada regarding Canada's Crime Severity Index, they were released this week. And these are numbers from 2020 to 2021. In this province, the index value for violent crime rose 19%. Nonviolent crime also increased by just under 4%. The crime rate amongst youth is down across the board. Good news. It dropped by nearly 14% from 2020 to 2021. So the issue surrounding violent crime, and we've seen the stories, right? You know, trying to break up these ring of gun dealers and the like. Generally, and we don't know what the root is of all the crimes, whether it be from the backhoe bandits to the boys toting or whoever toting the guns and shooting the place up. But I think the consensus is a lot of this is fueled by drugs, addiction, and the criminal element involved in drugs. 
So it's always worthwhile when we try to tackle these root cause issues. It's helpful to understand the crime rate numbers, but it's what we do about it. Because even if we just go back to tough on crime, throw them away, throw them in jail, throw away the key, all of those types of things, it doesn't curb the instances surrounding crime, especially violent crime. Because the next dealer, the next gangster, is right around the corner or waiting in the wings to just backfill those who have now find themselves incarcerated. So it becomes a very tricky conversation when we talk about certainly illicit drugs in the country. The legalization of cannabis product has, I think, been helpful to have a, I think, hopefully more open and mature conversation about drugs. And I get in trouble every single time when I go down this path. But do you really think they're on the wrong track in the province of British Columbia with looking for an exemption so that folks that are carrying 2.5 grams or less of illicit drugs, heroin and cocaine and the like, the drugs will be confiscated, but they're not going to be charged all of those who are trafficking in drugs are still at peril and hopefully will be rounded up, you know, even though the war on drugs has been futile. The concept of worry and pushback is that any of these attempts to decriminalize possession of small amounts is enabling people to use these drugs. If, like, just for me, when I stand back and think about that, like, say, for instance, that happened in this province, how many people all of a sudden will say, well, that's fine, I'm going on heroin? It, it just doesn't really make a lot of sense that that would be the outcome. Where it's been tried in other parts of the world, there's more harm reduction policies, HIV rates go down, hepatitis rates go down, overdose deaths go down, the number of people using goes down, less people going through the court system and being incarcerated, and the recidivism rates go down. So it's been overall an approach to health care and public safety as opposed to criminal justice. Now, we can do them all at the same time, but you know full well a lot of these violent crimes are fueled by drugs, whether people are addicted to and or selling. So if you want to talk about it, we can do it. And I know it becomes a tricky conversation. And a lot of people get quite cross with me when I talk about harm reduction policy. And, you know, if we're trying to make the place safer and we're trying to reduce the interaction with the criminal justice system and the healthcare system, maybe there's a, a time for a just a, a wider, honest conversation about it. And I, if you think I'm dead wrong, I get it. And if we want to talk about it, let's do it. Then there's another troubling story coming across the country about the spike in hate crimes, whether it be targeting people based on their religion, sexual orientation, the race, race, pardon me, ethnicity. Some of them absolutely probably spurred by pandemic issues. Of course, there is a real spike in sexual assaults across the country. So here's just some of the numbers. This is from Stats Canada once again. There's a 27% increase compared with 2020 and a 72% jump over the span of two years regarding hate crimes. And yes, no doubt there's been profound impacts on people, individuals, based on some of the restrictions and lockdowns. And whether that meant for more and more people to be locked in with a violent partner, the, you know, isolated with a violent partner, the uptick we've seen in consumption of alcohol and drugs, and what that's meant for all, some of these crimes, but hate crime numbers are also up. And again, this is for information purposes and to provoke conversation. Not to make anyone, this is not pointing fingers of blame or condemnation or fear. It's just real, and these are issues that I think people can should be talking about. All right, sticking with the justice system for a bit. Remember when 10 correctional officers working at Her Majesty's Penitentiary were charged with their presumed role in the death of Jonathan Henock at the penitentiary back in 2019. 
So originally, three of the guards were charged with manslaughter, seven charged with negligence causing deaths, death, and the charges have been dropped. Now, the 10 correctional officers are suing the government of Newfoundland and Labrador, the Royal Newfoundland Constabulary, and the chief medical examiner. They say they have suffered undue damage to their mental health, their reputation, and their finances. The sum that they're suing for has not been determined at this moment in time. So I don't know where this goes, but some of the details that we know about the accusations over the allegations that the 10 correctional officers and their attorneys are bringing forward is that there was a flubbed investigation. And they think the chief medical officer had tunnel vision doing the job more to talk about police interaction and punishment because if the cases were dropped, like I don't know all the details, I don't know if anybody outside the courtroom and those involved in the proceedings know it all, but they are now bringing forward this particular lawsuit. You want to talk about it? Let's go. We're anticipating some update from the province tomorrow and uh, the Environment Minister Bernard Davis regarding the wind-proposed energy project for the Port of Port Peninsula and the release from the environmental assessment. The communities are split. So if you're living out there, you're there. I'm not. So let's talk about it, whether or not you're a proponent, a supporter of, or you have concerns. Because it's new. right? This is a new issue that we're dealing with here in the province. So there's going to be 164 wind turbines, and some people are concerned with how these, where these turbines are going to be. There are restrictions regarding proximity to any building or residence, minimum of one kilometer from, before you'll see one of these turbines. So the, ma- the major concern that I'm hearing, anyway, is environmental-related matters. So we'll see the 164 wind turbines, if this project comes to pass, then the green hydrogen and ammonia plant nearer to Stephenville and the port, of course, for exportation, because that's the driving force behind this, not generating electricity, but green hydrogen. So again, if you are living in that part of the province and you'd like to bring forward your concerns and or to speak to the upside of the project, we can do it. Now, the Cape St. George Mayor, uh, Stella Kornick, her and a group went on a tour uh, to see how some of these other wind farms or wind projects are working and operating and even talk about whether or not there's any real noise concerns. She says they didn't really see uh, a huge concern on that front. Now, I don't want to put words in Mayor Cornick's mouth, but if sh- certainly if you were available this morning, it'd be great to have you on, Mayor, to talk about what you saw when you took a tour on the mainland of some of these other projects. And then, of course, also some of the uh, indigenous groups talking about environmental concerns in full. So we're anticipating more details. The mayor and others have called for uh, a pause from the minister's office uh, for tomorrow to get a very detailed environmental study if the project is proposed or is approved, pardon me, and released from the EA. And that's a big one because that's the beginning of what seems to be a keen interest in companies who would like to develop some sort of wind-related project here whether it be for power generation as an industrial site or what have you, and or for green hydrogen and the export of that product, which is in demand in the EU, the EU. And, of course, regarding power generation, our July hydro bills is going to see a reflection of Muskrat Falls, albeit nowhere near what was the end result of the $5.2 billion rate mitigation deal struck between the province and the federal government. So when Muskrat comes on, they're saying that the rates will immediately be 14.7 cents compared to the 12.5 cents we're paying today. But in addition to that, every year thereafter, an increase of 2 to 2.5% yearly. So their government is, you know, starting this muskrat reserve fund. 
it's not going to be a huge impact on your bill right now because in their newsletter, they talked about the fact that we're going to see a 6.4% decrease in our hydro bills because of the rate stabilization program. But then the muskrat implication sees, we'll, we'll see about a half a percentage increase, and that money will raise some $43 million going towards the whatever, 13 14 $15 billion that muskrat will eventually cost us. All right, and you know, the topics are up to you. There's, I'm getting a lot of reaction to the provinces move, the incentives put forward to retain nurses. There might indeed be uh, the Minister of Health and Community Services, Tom Osborne. Uh, Dave says that we might be hearing from the minister today to talk a bit more about it, and if you want to tackle it, we can do it. And once again, in an effort to keep the information that many people will be still looking for and concerned with, Yesterday, Public Health was reporting four more people have died, COVID-related death here in the province. 16 people are in the hospital. That's down from 17 last week. Two folks in critical care. We wish them all a speedy recovery. And, of course, the implications regarding any angle regarding COVID, we're happy to talk about it here today, as much as it's frustrating for many. All right, we're on Twitter. We're VOCM Open Line. Follow us there. Our email address is openline at vocm.com. A tune to get her going. Back in 1957, the Everly Brothers appeared on the Ed Sullivan Show to perform a couple of tunes. One was Bye Bye Love, and one was Wake Up Little Susie. Here's the Everly Brothers. When we come back, I'm looking forward to speaking with you. Don't go away. Welcome back to the program. We're speaking this morning on line number two. Good morning, Chris. You're on the air. Good morning, Patty. How are you this morning? Great today. How are you doing? Not too bad. Listen, Patty, uh, just a couple of comments about the uh, price of fuel and stuff like that. Like it. It blows my mind. Yesterday, the media and various, and I, I think your station carried it as well, that the price of fuel, the price of gas, was going to increase by 3.6 cents a litre this morning. And then when you get up this morning, it's dropped by 2.6 cents. So, you I mean, that's a 6.2 swing margin, okay? Mm-hmm. But so, like, I mean, if who's accountable? Where's the regularity at and stuff like that? In Ontario, there yesterday and in Central Canada, they were saying that price of fuel was going to go down roughly six cents a litre. And yesterday, they were saying here was going to go up three point six. Okay, but then you get up this morning. So you mean there's last minute uh, uh, communication going on or something like? There's no regulation. You drive around the city last night and at all the gas stations around the metro area, people the places were blocked. People were out trying to. Uh, get fuel, and this morning when you wake up, it's down two point six. Yeah, and it, it, it blow, it blow, it's not rocket science. I mean, the PUB and stuff needs to be a little more, a little bit more accountable. If me and you, uh, bear with me a second, please. Uh, if me and you, I don't know who's paying our salaries and stuff like this, but me and you are probably not paying our salaries directly, but indirectly we probably are. So we, I'd rather have someone there a little bit more accountable than what's happening there. Well, directly we are. Uh, we do pay for the officers at the PUB. So I think you bring up a fair point. I've tried to stay away f- from some of the gas predictions because as often as they're right, they're just as often wrong. And I don't need people saying to me, my God, Patty, I filled up last night. You cost me 2.6 a liter because that's the decrease in gasoline this morning. I get that concern. The issue with PUB transparency is, look, the minister responsible for that uh, independent or quasi-independent regulatory board, Sarah Studley. And she says now the PUB is going to have to be more transparent to give us a detailed reason or rationale as to why a decrease or an increase, whether it be interruption formula or otherwise. The only issue with that, Chris, is that it doesn't make the cake taste any better. We might know what the recipe is, but it doesn't make it any easier to swallow when we go to the pump, whether for a minor decrease or a massive increase, whatever the case may be. So I hear you. For those who, and it's not this, you know, 
in defense of the station, the whole country turns to these prognosticators, these forecasters of the price of gas. And, you know, it once was George Murphy. And now a fellow who's backfilled for George is a guy named Dan McTeague. I don't know whether or not we should be doing the guessing. And the PUB has made it a little bit more difficult because it was one night that they, on a Wednesday evening or whatever night it was, maybe it was interruption formula, we were going to see an increase, uh, I think it was like 11 cents one day. And folks got a hold of the information, which is supposed to be embargoed till 12 midnight, and they started spreading the news. Because we just want to help people save a few bucks if possible. So yeah. I don't know what we should be doing on that front, Chris, to be bluntly mm -hmm. honest with you. Whether or not we should have these people on to take their best guess at it. Because if you're wrong, and it costs people six cents a liter, and for some people that's a significant amount of money, for, you know, filling up their half ton or something. So I get your concern. I'm not really sure what to do about those issues. Well, I admit there's, there's no consistency. Like if, if parts of the country are saying it's going up or going down, and then here in Newfoundland, you know I mean? It's, it's like, I mean, it's a, it's a yo-yo. There's, there's no consistency. If it's going down in the price of Ontario or going up in the price of Ontario or central Canada, it should be doing the exact same thing in this part of the country. Well, I don't know if we can make those direct connections because there's different issues, like for starters. Now, with not one drop of gasoline being refined on the province, we do indeed have a different set of circumstances for distribution. And we do know that Silver Peak still gets that five cents a liter because they now all of a sudden, through no fault of mine, have to be responsible for importing all the gasoline that's used here in the province. So I don't know if we'll ever see a constant and consistent change in every single province because all the regulatory bodies are different. you know. And then I think the conversation goes down the path of, do we need a regulated price of fuel? I don't know. I'm told to be wary of hoping for that. I don't know if the arguments being made against removing regulation is all that solid, but it is a painful time. I remember not that long ago, it was only Thursdays where we saw an adjustment. And then we had that spike of interruption formula being applied time after time after time after time. It was dizzying. You never even knew where you stood. Whether or not gas was up or down, it was just mind-boggling to try to keep up with it. All right, then, Patty. Like the old scenario is like, I mean, I'd like to ask some of these regulators and stuff: is two and two four these days, or is two and two twenty-two? But what does that mean, though? Like, what, what do you? If you had a chance to speak to an officer of the PUB this morning, give us a, a direct question because I wouldn't know what to do with that two two plus two uh, question that you posed. So, what well, do you want to ask them? No, I'd like you I mean be consistent. Like, I mean, if it's if it's going down across the country, it should it should be going down everywhere, not not like a. Uh, a yo-yo up and down. That, that, that's, that's my take on it, right? I appreciate you sharing your take on the show, Chris. Thanks a lot. Have a good one. You too, man. All the best. Bye-bye. Yeah, look, I do struggle with whether or not we should be offering best guesses because if it's not working, then it's probably not helping. And it's not for me to determine who on any show here on this station or anywhere else uh, invites on someone because some people really want to know. And if they're even close to right with a said increase and people can save a few bucks, they're happy enough to have done it. So I don't know. Let's go Lakeside. Line number 10, say good morning to our very own Brian Medor. Morning, Brian. You're on the air. Good morning, Patty. I just want to add a little bit to those gas prices. So sure. He makes a good point. But uh, when I interviewed Dan McTague about that, and I did ask him, you know, why the inconsistency in this regard, he said, I use this exact same formula as George Murphy does, yep. which has been in place for a long time. He says, I don't know what 
formula the PUB is using, but sometimes it just does not jibe with the formula that has been in place for a long time. Whatever that is, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, we talk about benchmark stuff, things that should indeed be predictable and constant across the country. So McTeague has asked the question. You asked it of him. I don't know where to go with it, but I'm like anyone everybody else. If I can save a few bucks on Wednesday night, I'm happy to do it. If I try to go out and save some money on Wednesday night and it ended up costing me over six and a half cents a liter because of the disparity between a said increase or decrease, then it's a tricky piece of business. I'm not really sure how to handle it, to be honest. And there was a gap there between uh, George Murphy's death and uh, when Dan McTagg took over. Yeah. And my gosh, we'd be besieged by calls from people. Where's the gas gas? We need the gas gas. It's a very, very sought after feature. They do want that prediction and to be at least have that tool and then to try to judge accordingly. Fair ball. Uh, we do the best we can on that front because you're right. When uh, George passed, I would always, and sure the newsroom, bombarded with requests, when are we going to get someone to give us an understanding of what the price of gas will be tomorrow? So you're right there, Brian. Let's uh, get back to the rowing. There's the possibility of a triple crown in the offing. What's happening? Yeah, that's the emerging story right now. High Hydraulic, they won in Placentia. And they won in Harbor Grace on the weekend, and boy, did they ever win here by a couple of boat lengths, really poured it on when they came out of the turn. And that's that's normally what it is, you know. They're all kind of even when they go into the turn, and then the the return portion coming back down is when – that's the real sprint right there. And that's what they trained for, and they did it in 5.08. 5.13 in the time trials, 5.08 this morning. Now, the boats they use today, they've only been in – circulation for a couple of weeks so they're a little bit faster than what they would have the boats they would have used for the time trials and not the same boats there are different boats on they were really just in the boathouse you know not no wear and tear on them so shiny kind of new if you will and they're a little bit faster so they knock five seconds off the time trial and they think they're going to gun for around five minutes maybe slightly under in the championship race they'll be in the championship race this evening it's uh the women's go first this year 6 30. uh the the record is 456 10. i asked if they had a shot at that I, I i didn't get the sense that they were going to gun for it if they got it great but they're really gunning for just to come in around that five minute mark for the championship race and that would make them the triple crown winners triple crown is always a real feather in your capital of course folks for the triple crown you would have won in placentia harbor grace and the royal st john's regatta so we'll keep uh, an eye on it of course we'll speak with you again i think brian right after the 11 o'clock news to talk about what is actually history in the making four women's crews yeah. in the 1050 race going to roll the long course verso who won the come home year races they're about a couple of minutes ahead of their nearest rival based on time trial numbers so there's a lot to be discussed surrounding that uh, anything else before we have to take off to the break brian i would just have the uh, two defending champions uh ntv and high hydraulic they are the number one seeds. they won the time trials and they are the favorites here in high hydraulic of course won theirs and uh, we'll be keeping an eye on those uh, the, that situation Ponside, just a great day patty a lot of people here a lot of concessions i want to make one point uh, some people seeing the pictures might oh my gosh doesn't look like very many concessions there this year mm -hmm. uh, i asked the president noel and she said no it is on par with previous uh, you know previous pre-pandemic years uh, it's just that they're spread out a lot if you see the bouncy castles they're way down my gosh and uh, the bottom of the pond almost in kitty bitty whereas they would normally be right on the north bank 
And that developed part of the North Bank where they put in the paved trails, uh, th- that really would not be would, would not host any concessions in previous years, and there's a ton of concessions there. So it's same, about the same number of concessions. It's just that they are spread out quite a bit more than they would have been in the past. Yeah, we'll, we'll keep an eye on it, and it's a real huge day for a lot of the vendors down there, especially the not-for-profit organizations where this is one of their key fundraising days. So, yeah, people want to go down, maybe watch the bit of the races, probably take on a bit of lunch or a bit of supper, but have a few spins too because you know that money goes to the right places for a lot of these not-for-profits. Uh, good to have you on, Brian. We'll talk again soon. Right, you are. Take good care. Bye-bye. It's Brian Medore. Lakeside, quite a vida for the 204th run of the Royal St. John's Brigada. Let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to be speaking with New West Valley Mayor Mike Tiller. I think about the healthcare center in his region, and then we're speaking with you. Don't go away. Weekdays on VOCM, it's Open Line with your host, Patty Daly. Join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on your VOCM. We get people talking. Welcome back to the show. Let's go. Line number four, say good morning to the mayor of New West Valley. That's Mike Tiller. Good morning, Mayor Tiller. You're on the air. Good morning, Patty. How are you? Top shelf this morning. How about you? Not doing too bad, sir. Uh, Call. Calling this morning to uh, let the listeners in the New West Valley and Bonavis and North Bonavis regions that we are planning a rally uh, tonight at 6 p.m. The location has just recently changed. It's going to be at the Stratton's Marine. The parking lot of Stratton's Marine is where we uh, where we're holding our rally, and we want to highlight the fact that uh, all the diversions that we're having at the Dr. Y.K. John Kitty Wake Health Center. Uh, give us an idea of what the diversions look like, because we've seen these stories, particularly in central health, be really frequent for a long time. Now, what exactly is happening in your clinic, your hospital, pardon me? Well, in the last uh, month of July, we were on diversion for 10 days. So you're looking at basically one in three days that uh, somebody is traveling where they would normally travel about 20 minutes. They could be traveling an hour and a half. And because of the diversions in our area and in other areas, when you do... When there is a diversion, then you have to go to James Payton. Of course, there's there's longer wait times. There's uh, there's a, a huge influx of extra patients at their hospital. So again, it's a delay in getting your treatment even after you you have the extra drive. Yeah, it's becoming all too common. So, do you have a, a better understanding of what's driving the diversions? Are we talking about lack of doctors, nurses, or is it just a full complement of comprehensive uh, sh- uh, staff shortages leading to this? Well, that's exactly what it is, Patty. It's a lack of human resources, and and I think that uh, it's it's the doctors right now because there seems to be there, there's definitely a full complement of nurses at YK John, and uh, the James Payton seems to be doing okay. I know there is a shortage, but they're holding their own. There's no divergence because of lack of nurses. There's a diversion because of lack of doctors, and like like any human resource, Patty, you can't build a factory and start uh, creating doctors tomorrow. And this is not a not a, a regional issue. It's not a provincial issue. It seems like there's a national issue where there's a shortage of doctors. Oh, without question, it absolutely is national. Sometimes when that's said, or if I say it on the show, people think we're defending the government. No, we're talking about some of the most mobile professionals in the country are in high demand, and this issue is across the country. That being said, when you look at what the government's doing, like, for instance, with rural emergency rooms, offering $800 a day on top of the normal rate of pay for a doctor to work in mercy room shifts. I don't know if that's making the difference. I know there's a big problem with some of the time and expense and paper warfare for locum doctors to come to the province. Do you see the province doing anything that you think is is going to be helpful, or do you think that they're coming up short? It's it's hard to say, Patty. This is something that just started happening in the new year, and, I mean, it's it's not a problem that's going to be fixed overnight. Uh, it's an issue that uh, is going to take some time because we, we have to find 
these doctors. I think the, the focal point should be the Mon Med School. Uh, these are the people that know our region the best. They know our province the best. And I think that's where we need to start, maybe adding more seats there and, and doing what we can to, to keep the doctors in our own school. Uh, no argument coming from me. I mean, 60 seats out of the 80 are for Newfoundlanders and Labradorians. The province of New Brunswick was funding an additional five seats. They're not doing it anymore, so now it's 65 seats that are for people from this province, and they are much more likely to stay. And, of course, that's part of the medium and long-term solution versus the immediacy of the concern with diversions in particular in your community and many other parts of the province. Uh, Mayor Taylor, give us the details one more time where you're going to have your protest or your rally and when. Yeah, it's going to be 6 p.m. at uh, Stratton's Marine. We have a couple of local citizens uh, that organize it, Tina Abbott and Jennifer Hunt. They've brought in uh, our MHA. Mary Shortle is going to be speaking. There's going to be some stories from uh, past uh, patients and past employees to highlight the importance of the Dr. Kitty Wick John Health Center and uh, the, the good things that it's done for those people and the positive impact that it's had on patients and former employees. So we're hoping for a really, really good turnout. We want to make sure, and we know that there's a shortage of doctors, but we want to make sure that when doctors become available, that we keep Dr. Y.K. John, Kitty Wake Health Center in the spotlight. Appreciate the time this morning, Mayor Tiller. Thank you very much, sir. Take care. Bye-bye. That's Mike Tiller. He's the mayor of New West Valley. Let's go to line number one. Cyril, you're on the air. Yes, good morning. Morning to you. Yes, uh, one second. I'll have to turn on my phone. Yes, Patty, uh, you do a wonderful job on your show. Appreciate it. Uh, yes, I'm calling... Uh, Got a couple of things, uh, the, the roads in this area and a uh, little bit of good news happens around here. Uh, last few weeks we've had uh, a nice bit of work on the uh, hot patch but on our road uh, and different places. We had uh, a real bad area that, uh, well, the pavement was just about gone altogether and uh, uh, I don't know how many tons, I'm on the 400 ton or something or uh, pavement put here and there but anyways I learned yesterday that uh, we still got a, a lot of bad places but we won't be getting any more not likely uh, to, we won't be getting any more hot patch uh, because they uh, can't get any more or I don't know what the trouble is I guess there's still uh, companies uh, paving in different areas but anyway we ain't getting no more this way I guess we I don't know if we got our share or not. <laughs> Whatever that's supposed to mean, eh, boy? Cyril, you yeah. say your region. Where's your region? Where are you calling from? Well, I'm calling, uh, we and uh, we call it the Southwest Arm area. You leave uh, up in Queens Cove, Northwest Brook area, and you come down to Gooseberry Cove, Southport. That's the last couple of places in the in the, in the bottom. But anyways, uh, and and, uh, coal, and uh, coal patch that they usually puts in is uh, they don't know when whenever they're going to get any of that like you know that's that's late the fall and that so uh just here in our community alone i think we got about a half dozen or more places where pipes has gone sunk down we got uh well even in front of my driveway we got a crate of that uh that you know like we got dump trucks going back and forth there we're they're doing a job here a federal job here on a wharf and we got all kinds of traffic and uh, plus all the people, uh, uh, you know, uh, living in the area, uh, people coming to visit, there's really uh, uh, bang, bang, bang people going, going with trailers, you know, like people fishing. And, and it's, uh, it's just ludicrous, the, the, the big holes and everything is in the pavement. 
the, there's places that the pipes must be gone all together down under, you know, the, some of those are just right across the road, not a place that you could pull out and get around it, but uh, the full uh, uh, pipe must be sunk down uh, probably a foot a foot deep. So uh, I don't know when now, if if, if if those things are happening, I don't know when this ever going to be fixed. Uh, there's only a few uh, weeks down the road and uh, school is going to open. You've got buses on to go, so I don't know. You know, obviously the people who would be most concerned, and rightfully so, are folks that live here, live in your region. But it's also alarming and dismaying how many tourists we've heard from that have actually called the show or sent me emails. That obviously, if they know about the show, they must have been originally from here and just back for a holiday or something. That's their takeaway. That's what people in their cars are saying to them. My God, your province is beautiful, but the roads are awful. Imagine oh. being that one of the takeaways from visiting this gorgeous province with all it has to offer and what you're all consumed with is just how bad the roads are. And I get it because I don't think it really matters where you're living in the province. The roads are bad. Their roads are bad. Yes, uh, okay, we have a, right down on the end there, we have a, here in Guzrick over uh, South Pole, we have a, a walking trail there. Uh, we have, uh, uh, people tells me now there's a new link in, hooked in there now, but I think just about seven kilometers. Uh, the original one was there for a couple of years. They are now uh, took in, the, it's called Great Archie's Beach, and uh, it's about, just about two hour hike. And there's no one knows the people we have uh, coming in here, and and we have a parking lot there. There's sometimes it's full of cars, and uh, I guess people see you know like everything now they're online, and and there's people out hiking all the time, and uh, every one of the we got amazing down there the volunteers. Every little community down there have had something going on in the community of the year. Uh, last week it was over in Southport, Little Archies a couple of weeks before. Uh, we had uh, Canada area. We had our uh, community center open uh, you know for people to come and visit and uh, meet and greet and all this is all volunteers. Uh, there's uh, people throwing uh, there in Little Archies, there a couple of weeks ago, a family up there uh, uh, just opened up all their properties and uh, set up a stage. Had uh, uh, you know hundreds of people coming in for they, they were on the go there about 15 hours. Uh, people playing music and everything, and and like you said, and then they got to tear over the terrible roads. Yeah, and uh, like I said, there's a lot of uh, good stuff. Uh, happening down there. Uh, one I want to speak about is uh, there uh, a few months back we lost our uh, convenience store there in uh, Gooseberry Cove and uh, the people there they just shut down and moved on and we had a, a family there stepped up to the stepped up to the plate and uh, and got it open and spent months there getting uh, things organized and uh, we're back uh, uh, Brianna's uh, convenient there uh, they got a call, and they're back by. We can buy gas here again, and we got our store open. And one of the greatest things happened down there. And, uh, and like I said, we uh, everybody, every little community is trying to, you know, uh, survive into this. And but the government is not helping us when it comes to the road part. It's just terrible. I hear you. So Gooseberry Cove is up on the the arm, just short of Hartsey's. Is that? Yes, it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I appreciate you making time for the show, Cyril. Thanks a lot, sir. Okay. Thank you for listening to me. My pleasure.
Take care. Bye-bye. All right, let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, we'll be speaking with you. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let us roll. Align number one, Wilford, you're on the air. Hey, good morning, Patty. Good morning, sir. Long time no see, but I, but I, 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 I had to call in. I, I just got, uh, we're in the retail business here in Glovertown, of course, as everybody knows. We've been having an exceptionally good summer, thanks to the tourism, thanks to the local support that we've been getting that uh, this year. But but there's one little boo-boo and one little blunder that I made, and I, I was called out on this morning by a good friend of mine. Okay. Now, I just want to put a little shout-out there, because they'll, they'll know what I'm talking about, and I'm going to use. But our supply chain has been, like, really, really poor like like i mean we knew that it was coming we, we we've been we were warned about it saying that listen you're gonna be low on supplies and i mean there's been a time like i mean august the first for instance like i never had like i had ice cream i mean my my fridge was empty like you know like no scoop ice cream no like that's the time we're in right now like never heard of before you know uh serving trays uh, uh items that we use for takeout like a lot of shortages a lot of shortages a lot of shortages we got the sales but we got shortages everybody in in newfoundland labrador and i'd say in canada is probably going through the same thing and some of us retailers are getting a little frustrated and, and we we sometimes puts it back to our our uh our supply people and our sales people that comes in and sees us on a daily basis and we we sort of go out on a and we and we 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 probably overstep and i got called out this morning by uh by a friend of mine, and I'd just like to say that uh, I'm I'm sorry, and uh, and we're we're very patient as retailers, and and uh, they got to understand that we're we're a bit traumatized. We we uh, we almost lost our businesses uh, over the last couple of years, and uh, we uh, we uh, we've been we've been we've been aggressive in trying to get supplies, and our and our supply people has, has been good to us, and and. And our and our salespeople has been good to us. And like I say, let's as retailers, let's all of us remember where 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 it comes from, and and let's try to be uh, nice to our good friends. I, I wouldn't overly aggressive now, but uh, but I got I got called out, and and uh, and and, uh, and again, I, I I'm sorry. Fair enough, Wilford. You know, I think a lot of people will just wait for the dust to settle and let it just fade away. So good on you for recognizing that you maybe took a step too far. I don't know how the interactions went, so I don't have a comment on it. But good on you for recognizing it. Sometimes we get called out. It's easy enough to just wait for that news cycle to change and everyone forgets about it. But, you know, yeah. it probably makes no, things a little... It wouldn't, it wouldn't be like that at all. Just no, that fair enough. Sometimes it wouldn't like that. It's just sometimes we, like, we're, we're, we're all about business. We're all business, business, business. We, we, we forget about, you know, our, our personal feelings, and we forget about the personal feelings on the other side, and we forget about the man just came and that perhaps he got a sick, this one, or he's, his mother might be sick, he's, there might be a, a something wrong somewhere, but, but let's, everybody keep in mind that, that we're going, this, this tough time that we're going through, this is just not going to fade away overnight. We're still going to have some... Uh, issues with with uh, with trying to survive this this pandemic that we just came out of, and and like I say, for everybody just to think because the masks are off and all this, that's only a medical thing. That got that, that's not what that's not what keeps everything. The medical part of it is 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 quite a challenge. Yes, of course it is. Everybody got to be healthy, but but from an economy point of view, we we got to bring the economy back to where it was and and try to keep these businesses like ours running and and. Uh, in order for us to do that, everybody got to work together. And, and like I said again, I I uh, I, I certainly feel that uh, that we'll, uh, we'll we'll be better because of today. 
Well, good for you. And, you know, it probably will go a long way to even improving your relationship with some of the, the sales crowd out there, knowing that you're man enough to uh, take responsibility for what you said. You know, I don't yeah, understand. Well, I, I, I didn't say anything. It's just the way that we do it. It's just the way okay, that we... Okay, whatever it was. Yeah, I wasn't there, so I don't you know. You know, like, it's just the way we do things. Like, sometimes if we can't get a supplier from one supplier, for instance, and, and perhaps we'll call him on his day off or whatever, and we'll get him into the shop, and he'll go into the somewhere and do something for us and, and get it for us and say, here you go, off the boy, here it is in the front door. Next day, I may order from somebody else because of the supplies, uh, you know, uh, the supplies might be a greater at this larger, bigger company or whatever. And then here we are, then here we are u- using our, our local <laughs> contacts and, and doing things, you know, and, and, and that's what it's all about. That's, that's, we, it's all about supplies and, 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 uh, and, and keeping everybody Keeping the, keeping the business stocked, and, and sometimes we do only think about business. We don't think about feelings, you know, and, and that's where I'm going with it. Yeah, no, I appreciate the point. Uh, I don't know how many people are still confused or refuse to believe that the supply chain issue is still very, very real. It has not been fixed in full as of yet, and that impacts all kinds of things. There is something yeah. that I'm trying to order to replace, something that just gave up the ghost in my house, and I can tell you what. I used to be able to walk into an appliance store and get it, no big deal. They had it in stock or I could get it within the week. I'm going to have to wait an awful long time, which is frustrating as all get out. Even if we're talking about something as small as a semiconductor, what that means for the automobile industry or for computers or for smartphones, it's not back to where it once was, and everyone needs to realize that because some of these, look, the frustration is real, whether it be as the business owner or a consumer waiting for one product or another, but that's where we are. I appreciate the time, Wilfred. I'm glad business is going well. Yep, and like I say, Amazon is not necessarily the answer either. No, sir. <laughs> That's not the answer. They're, they're only using what we're buying from them in bulk. Anyway, thank you for taking my call, and have a great day, guys. Work hard. Let's get through the summer. Let's get through the winter, and <laughs> keep these businesses going. Thank you very much. You're welcome. All the best. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. Yeah, I've, you know, and I was not there, so that, this is not necessarily a comment about Wilford or any interaction he's ever had. But folks are frazzled, right? I, we all know it to be true. And I suppose I've lashed out every now and then because, you know, as much as we try to put patience on the, on the forefront, sometimes that's hard to summon some days, some hours. Let's go ahead and take a break for the newscast. When we come back, tons of time left to speak with you. Don't go away. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. Welcome back to the program. Well, we've been talking about the rental and the housing crunch here in the metro region and how many maybe landlords have sold off and cashed out and or they convert their rental units into short-term rentals, turn them into Airbnbs. And, I mean, fair ball. People do what they want on that front. So some of the alternate uh, booking platforms... For short-term rentals, the one that we've never talked about in this program, but we're about to now, is called Fair b and So they've got a really interesting mandate. Maybe get an idea of what's going on with Fair b and what they are trying to achieve, and what they're seeing around the country. Join us online, everyone. is one of their organizers. His name is J.J. Fuser. Good morning, J.J. You're on the air. Good morning. Nice to be here. Happy to have you on the program. I'll be honest with you. I had never heard of Fair b and until my producer sent me some information. Tell us what you do. Well, Airbnb in Canada started out as a, a network to um, get fair rules for short-term rentals. Where, where you know, we, we began as a broad coalition among tenant groups, housing groups, neighborhood groups, hotel workers, accommodation providers, legal clinics, academics, right? And we wanted to address some of the problems we were seeing as 
short-term rentals moved beyond kind of the home sharing idea where you rent out a spare room in your own home to becoming much more commercialized big business where we're seeing entire homes being stockpiled homes that were built as long-term residence residences being taken off the market and to be used exclusively for tourists and that's where we began to see problems that's where we began to see impacts on housing availability and housing affordability Um, and so as we were doing this work and pushing for regulations to protect housing um, in Europe uh, there was another uh, where they were experiencing these impacts too a group of people also formed something called a Airbnb co-op meant to address some of these problems with over tourism like in Venice um, you, you know you we're finding a situation that we're seeing um, across Canadian neighborhoods today where people who were looking for housing could find plenty of short-term rentals for tourists, um, but actual long-term apartments were increasingly expensive and hard to come by. Um, and so this is a <clears throat> the co-op uh, is meant to address some of these, say, you know, we can do home sharing, but we can do it responsibly and sustainably. Um, by uh, making sure, A, that this activity takes place um, in a person's own home or, you know, there's only one host, one listing, uh, depending on the market, and then B, by putting, by setting it up as a cooperative, the profits, like the, the service fees, don't get sent to a tax haven, but they get pumped back into the community um, in ways that benefit that community. So, uh, so half of the service fees go to operations for the co-op and the other half uh, to a local project. Uh, and in Canada, where we're looking to set up an experimental co-op in, in uh, Toronto, we would actually use these fees um, to fund a local land trust that acquires and maintains affordable housing. So to kind of undo this trend where short-term rentals are financializing uh, um, housing and causing it to dry up and become more expensive and actually use that to to fund uh, affordable housing projects. It's laudable goals. We're talking about the circular economy, which has an opt-in benefits, especially at the local level. But you're really up against it, aren't you? Because I know in the United States, there's a real big problem with hedge fund manager, pension managers gobbling mm-hmm. up a single family dwelling. Some 28% is owned by those entities. We can't pretend it's not going to happen in this country. Blackstone talking about expanding their $14 billion portfolio. One real estate company in Toronto talking about a billion dollars to buy single family dwellings. So how do you make this offering attractive when you're up against some of the deep pockets where it's money is not an issue that's such a great question and i'm so glad this is being talked about and <clears throat> short-term rentals i mean are, are a piece of a bigger process of financialization um so in toronto for example when we set up the rules here one thing um we decided to do was to make sure that only um natural people not corporations could become short-term rental hosts and that hosts could only rent out their primary space in their primary residence. So the place you call home, most of the time, you have to use that to offer short-term rental listings, which is very close to the um, more sustainable bed and breakfast model that we've ha- had around for ages. It's just done through a platform. 
Um, and, and then you start, then, then you're not in a situation where, you, you know, you're putting tenants in competition with tourists for available housing stock, which is a very toxic dynamic. Uh, absolutely right. Uh, so getting back to how you apply the service fees, so you need 50% for operations and then 50% go towards community-based projects. You know, how are these evaluated or adjudicated, you know, based on sustainable development and or, you know, socially, socially, socioeconomic drivers in these communities? How do you look at what project is due the money? Well, ideally, you'd want to talk about this with your neighbors and figure out um, what makes sense locally. Um, in Toronto, uh, as in so many other places around the world, um, housing uh, housing problems are paramount. It's the thing you wake up worrying about, you go to sleep worrying about. And so we are very excited about um, the land trust uh, movement is one experiment in definancializing housing. So... Um, you know, saving land, uh, not for, uh, and, and homes, not primarily as investments, but as uh, places for shelter, right? That's, that's, what's, that's what they're there to do. Um, and, uh, but they are up against, you know, the black, sto- uh, the, the black zones of the world when trying to uh, acquire property. So um, we here made the decision to partner with land trust. And I think it's an experiment we could repeat in other markets in Canada um, to do that very important work of securing more and more places where we're not going to see uh, rents necessarily skyrocket where uh, housing costs, just what it costs to operate. (laughs) But, um, you know, elsewhere you've seen uh, communities decide to set up, um, other projects. It, it kind of depends on the, the uh, priorities of the community. But, you know, here in Canada, it's uh, and in Kensington Market, the, the neighborhood um, where we're, we're going to launch this project. It's been heavily impacted by, um, by short-term rental activity, uh, and it has a wonderful land trust, and it seemed like a natural partnership. Housing is a right. You know, it's not a privilege necessarily. Now, there's nothing wrong with relying on the equity in your own home. I'm a homeowner. And there's nothing wrong with people who are small-scale landlords. They've got one or two units or something, whether they're short-term rentals or Airbnbs, whatever the case may be. The real-life implication is that we've got so many massive, deep pockets getting really overly involved in the market. And then foreign ownership, all these things which have complicated the world. Now, with rising inflation, rising interest rates, mortgage stress tests, all these things have change the water on the beans for housing regardless if it's a single family dwelling and or as an investment property which makes the conversation mismanaged in so many different arenas we go from housing as a right to housing as an investment to housing as an equity as uh, whether or not we have safe equitable access to the market because it's not been the case for the last number of years and it's going to get even worse absolutely yes and and what we're seeing in fact is a I, I, you probably are using this term <laughs> very frequently, given what you're talking about, uh, the, the idea of renovation, that you uh, get displaced current tenants to basically scale up um, your income, either by attracting, uh, like offering housing for wealthier tenants, or by just shifting to the uh, short-term rental model. And that's something, you know, we're, we're that's very uh, a dynamic that's very urgent to address. 
Yeah, and I'm like even in the city where I live, we went from it being a problem that gets a little bit more complicated come the fall when university students make their way to the city. Yeah. But now with the vacancy rate, last year at this time it was around 7%. Now it's about 3.1%. And when you know people use the definition of affordable housing being 30% 30 per, uh, 30% of your um, your net revenue throughout your whether that be as an independent contractor and or work wherever you work. But I mean that's $650. If you do that basic math where I live, you cannot get anywhere very healthy and safe to live, whether it be full-time or short-term rental, at $650 a month. So things have changed so quickly that it's hard for individuals and for communities to catch up. What role do the municipalities play? Because it's one thing to talk about one host uh, and one home. What role do municipalities have to play to ensure that your concept seeps into their mindset? Um, I think municipalities, local governments, um, know their markets best um, and are closest to uh, to their communities, and so are in the best position to to set up short term rental rules. So just focusing on that side of the equation, <coughs> and um, what we as the Airbnb Coalition um, have recommended, especially in places that are facing housing affordability or availability challenges is to um, put in place regulations at the municipal level that restrict short-term rental activity to people's principal residences. That's probably the most important tool that municipalities have. Um, you know, we have zoning laws at the municipality to say, okay, we these buildings are going to be used for housing. These ones are going to be used for commercial activity. And short-term rental platforms have effectively become a way to circumvent those rules and say, well, all of these residences are going to just introduce a commercial activity and they're going to be money makers um, in a way that we haven't seen before. Uh, and um, municipalities do have tools, you know, but what we're finding is that they do have to be backed up by higher levels of government. So, you know, if, um, if, a city or town decides to introduce rules and a registration system, every short-term rental operator has to, you know, register with the system, show that they're the principal resident, they get a number. Then the platforms um, like Airbnb, VRBO, and of course, you know, if Airbnb co-op wants to kind of model this, uh, they have a role to play in ensuring that there is no rule breaking going on in those platforms as tech companies, right? There's, they have an ability to make sure that the registration number somebody gives for their listing is valid. We do that with credit cards all the time. It would save municipalities a ton of uh, resources and time um, if platforms began to actually help make sure these rules were enforced. And, and that enforcement piece is a, uh, the piece we're trying to figure out now around the country, you know, so so good rules in place that uh, that stop the rampant commercializing, commercialization of short-term rentals on the one hand, and then a really good system of enforcement where we might need the help of uh, the province, for example, uh, to, to get that done. I think that would take us a, as a, a huge step in the right direction. And before you can implement good policies, you actually have to understand the problem. 
And I think that's lacking at the municipal, provincial, and national level. I know we've seen affordable housing mentioned in federal budgets and provincial budgets, but it's always simply about the money as opposed to understanding the problem itself. So it's hard to create a good policy if you're not really sure how to attack or what you're attacking. Uh, a couple of quick ones before we run out of time, JJ. How do you vet your hosts? Um, so I, I think we would want to do exactly what uh, we've, set the, we've set up at the city, um, we want, you know, and this is, I'm, I'm talking of, in, in hypotheticals because we're, we're working this out still. <clears throat> um, but ideally, we'd want some really robust evidence that uh, hosts are um, uh, using their principal residences to do this activity. And we'd be looking for people who are already committed to, um, you know, the, the housing issues the same way we are. Right, so like-minded people. We don't see this as being a very big business, honestly. Airbnb is a huge business, and that's why it's having some of these adverse impacts, you know, uh, that we're seeing. Uh, this would be a, a kind of a piece of the tourism, a specialized piece of the the local tourist offerings where people want to stay in someone else's own home, and that's why they're doing that, right? And that's not going to be an enormous money-making business. Um, you know, hopefully it will generate enough revenue to be helpful to the land trust and our community partners, but it's not meant to be a billion dollar platform that competes with Marriott as, you know, some of these other platforms have become, you know, so I think that's, we're looking for hosts that a, a lot of the short-term rental hosts <clears throat> in the cities we're looking at already are doing things the right way. They're not the ones that make tons of money for the platform. Those are the big commercial hosts, but you still have tons of real home shares that would probably welcome um, a, a way to make sure that this, they're participating in a more sustainable business. JJ, really appreciate the time. Uh, hopefully I got to where we wanted to go with this conversation because I knew very little to nothing about Airbnb and the co-op that you've established, <laughs> but I really do appreciate making time for the show. Thank you so much for having us on. Take good care. All righty. Bye-bye. That's JJ Fuser. She's one of the organizers at Fair B&B. Let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, we're going to Fogo. Uh, Mayor Andrew Shea is in the queue for the first time in hundreds of years. No family doctor, Fogo Island. We'll hear from the mayor after this. Welcome back. Let's go to line number two. Say good morning to the mayor of Fogo. That's Andrew Shea. Mayor Shea, you're on the air. Morning, Patty. Morning to you, sir. I'm doing fine. How about you? Good. Now, we know many communities have lost their family doctor, but for the first time in hundreds of years, no family doctor on Fogo Island in particular. I know there's a community group that's trying to, you know, paint a picture of why it would be an attractive place to set up shop for a family doctor. Where are we? Oh, boy. Well, nothing has changed since uh, this started to happen. You know, we've, we we have a doctor now for August, up till August the 25th. But after that, uh, we're not sure what's happening. Uh, also, during that time the doctor is here, there is going to be time when the emergency center is closed. And that and that's that's serious for us for the emergency center to be closed at the hospital. No doubt it is, and these types of diversions uh, and closures are happening repeatedly. Uh, and I know it's impacting your region as well. So nothing has changed, but give us an idea of what the community is doing, because I do know a lot of people and a lot of communities and their leaders think, well, it's the department's role, and we don't play a role as a municipality. But I think there's a little different tune being sung on Fogo uh, about what role the community plays. What are you doing? Well, we're we're pretty busy in trying to recruit. You know, we're working with Central Health. Uh, we've we've just had a program on the national news 
covered all over Canada about the, the doctors. Uh, and, you know, we're getting a lot of recognition and getting calls from doctors. And that recently, a couple of days ago, we had a doctor who called who has volunteered to come here for three months. So we sent his resume off to Central Health, so they're interviewing him. So we're getting a little bit of help, you know, but there's such a shortage of doctors everywhere, it's hard to make any headway. Because we're very active at this. What do you do? And well, give us an idea. So let's just say there's a family doctor in Mississauga listening to the show this morning and thinking Fogo Island. I've heard about the Fogo Island Inn, but why would I want to work in your community? Well, you know, it's uh, we think it's a great place to live, but you know, it's a new hospital. Uh, we got to, in most places. There's a job to find a place to stay. We have a residence there where you move in. It's rent free, along with your salary. It's uh, you know, a lot of lot of good things here. You know, we we've always had doctors. Doctors had no problem staying here. You know, we a few years ago we were we had three doctors. Now we got zero. It's really truly amazing. Unless you live in a community that has gone from you know access to and in your case three doctors down to zero, it's a real shock to the system. I mean, what do people say? Because if the next closest opportunity is in Gander, I would think. Yep. I mean, what are members of the community saying? Is it giving them reason to consider whether or not Fogo or Fogo Adam might be their long-term place of residence, or what? Are, what are you hearing? Well, it's pretty serious, you know, because we got an aging population, and as the weather gets gets deteriorates in the winter, you know, it's going to be harder to get to Gander. It, it, the quickest you can get to Gander now is is three hours, you know, on a, if you're sick. So with the emergency closed, that's serious. And then, and I, you know, people may be thinking of the winter residence somewhere else. And and not only with the tourist industry we got here, you know, we're overrun this year with people from the states and the rest of Canada. We barely can handle the amount of tourism. But is the doctor not being here going to be a problem for them coming here? You know what I mean? Because if you choose to winter elsewhere, at some point in the future, it might be the permanent move. So that's the real risk that you're facing, I would assume. Uh, You did mention the uh, fact that you're seeing a lot of American and international tourists. Give us an idea just how busy it's been. Oh, it's it's like, you know, like May month was like July, I think. Like we never seen so many tourists in May and June month as we have, you know. And some of the sales in some of the stores, the best sales, you know, in the tourist industry they ever had. So we're doing really well. You know, like people are coming here because it's a place to come and they really enjoy uh, the freedom. You know, the, it, it's, it's, it's been really good. Unbelievable. Yeah, we're hearing the same reports from uh, various parts of the province that do indeed rely, certainly in the peak season, for some visitors to because there's nothing like new money from outside the country. That's exactly right. But there's another thing too, Patrick, uh, when, when we started this, you know, I could phone Gander and get my prescription, phone in the morning, I could get my prescription in the afternoon. But because there's so many places closing down, you phone Gander now and you can't get in, you can't get through. And if you're, you don't call early in the morning, on Monday morning, they only take appointments for a week, then you've got to phone back next Monday morning to see if you can get in the next week. So because of such a backload, everything is get back and getting backed up. Even uh, I know a lady who phoned 811, um, because she, she couldn't get through to those numbers, and uh, she didn't get called right away. In fact, she got a call for her appointment 3 o'clock in the morning. She was in bed. She never heard it. She called back the next morning, and they told her she had to make another appointment. And and this is what's happening now. It's getting worse all the time because there's so many centers closing that the, what they got in place now can't handle this, this work, right? Cyclical nature. Uh, good to have you on the show this morning, Mayor Shea. Anything else you'd like to say before we say goodbye? No, uh, like I said, it's a, just a big effort put in here, and I think I, I think it'll work out over time. But 
I, I think with the government, you know, like this one plan don't fit all the places. I think certain places got to have different things to fit their situation. You know, like if I'm in, if I'm in Bishop Falls and, and the doctor's not there, short ride to Grand Falls. But when you're in Fogo and down around the south coast, it's a long haul and people are going to die because we're not going to get there in time. When there's any change that you'd like to update us on, us and the uh, residents on Fogo, uh, we welcome you back on the show, sir. Appreciate your time this morning. Thank you. Anytime. Take good care. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. So Andrew Shea, he's the mayor of Fogo. Uh, let's see here. Outer Cove, 922. Owen Devereaux, Campbell Fiend, Gerard Ryan, Daryl Ryan, John Furlong. Campbell Fiend is also now the regatta race director, I think is the proper title, and the boathouse manager. Camphy in after this, don't go away. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night, anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show. Midnight on your VOCM. Welcome back to the program. Let's go back down to the pond. Say good morning to the director of the Boathouse. That's uh, uh, Campbell Fien. Join us online number four. Good morning, Campbell. You're on the air. Hello, Patty. How are you this morning? Not too bad, sir. How about yourself? Well, you know, living the dream, as usual. So you're on the board, which I think is great, you know, giving back to the sport that you love so dearly. And I did give a shout-out to the Outer Cove 922. So you're a long-time rowing aficionado, rower, and now a supporter as a director. Why make the move on to a seeking office as a director, Campbell? Right, like you just said, you know, I've been down there since 73 or 74. And, you know, we've... Uh, Accomplished what I wanted to accomplish in, in, in relation to rowing. You know, we, as you know, we won six championships between mm-hmm. the police and, and Outer Gulf. Broke some records and had some fun and just time to get back. It's just my little, you know, is a, is a volunteer position. But, you know, they, they become very uh, time-consuming, as you can imagine. And all committee members are the same. But it's just a, something that um, it's a, something that I love to own. You know, I just love the sport and just my little get back to, to the community. Trying to help out. And you know, I've had some good regatta race days uh, when we used to do some Rogers coverage, was always a good laugh uh, yeah. for sure. And yeah. you know, the running stupid joke was with you and Siobhan Duff with all the championships. I used to give the total that we've won however many championships, of course, because I've won zero. Uh, <laughs> so, Cam, what's the look down there today? What kind of pond are we on? Uh, it was a really nice pond here this morning, actually, Patty. It was a bit, uh, you know, for us, uh, it was a little choppy, but nothing serious, nothing, nothing too bad. But it's really calm here right now. I mean, the flags are barely flying, and it's a real nice day. It's overcast. It's great for Rome. It's a really good day for Rome. Yeah, absolutely right. Uh, let's talk about some of the new changes to the Royal St. John's Regatta this year. I don't know why some people think they're controversial, when to me they make all the sense in the world. For the 1050 race coming up very shortly, four women's crews are going to, for the first time, roll the long course. We used to call it the men's course, but it's the long yeah. course. It sounds like the right move to me. What do you make of that upcoming race? So what do you think the significance is? Well, the significance is that, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a regatta for everybody. And the women came to us as committee members and said, you know, this is what we want to try. And who are we to say no? You know, it's, uh, it makes sense to us. It's, it's great for the sport. And, uh, you know, we're not sure we're going to keep it. Who knows? It depends on how they feel and if they want to keep this or not. But, you know, in every sport, as you know, we, um, you know there's, there's changes and everything. And, and we're, we're comfortable with the change. And we, we relish it. And we hope that it works out for them. So it's a you know it's a nice nice touch to the sport and who knows you know this it's changed over the years, Patty. As you know, I mean, one time the the, the midgets used to roll from the bottom of the pond up, and now it's now it's not like that. Now they get a turn, and the women used to do the same thing, you know. So we've uh, all, there's all kinds of changes over the years. So we're always adapting changes, and why not? It, it, it's good for the sport. So. 
Yeah, and you've done a lot of good work to bring in young rowers. There's more young crews than ever before, and a lot of female crews, and there's nothing wrong with that. They've dominated the numbers of crews entered in the regatta for years now. But one of the other changes is for men's crews potentially to row the shorter course. The long course is intimidating. It's a daunting challenge for many, and I can tell you, been in hockey fights and rugby scrums. Rowing that long course is one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. Maybe there's some without, reasons for that. Without, but, without a doubt. Look, Patty, not to cut you off, but no. we're, we're, trying to, we're trying to get more men back down here. Uh, it seems like this, uh, that the, the, uh, the women are more at that to come back down. Now the long course is for the women, but we're actually trying to get the men to come down. So why don't you reverse the roles? I mean, even my age, come down and row, row a... Uh, a short course, or, or it, I mean, the training to this sport is is unbelievable, as you know. I mean, it's just it's just it's crazy. But you know, there's an there's a, a thing here now that the, the men can come down and row the short course and put a new record on the short course. So just getting participation there and getting people back into the into the sport and, and come on down. And, and it's a great sport. It's a great uh, avenue for social events. And you know, as you know, it's it's this this creates everything. It's a captain for here today. is fabulous. You know, God love COVID is over, we hope. And, uh, you know, we still have some COVID protocols in place on it for, for people to be safe with the rowers. And, um, you know, but we're just trying to, you know, really pump the sport and say, well, come on now, this is a really good place to, to get yourself fit and, and meet people and, you know, the whole party atmosphere there. So come on now. You know, one thing that I don't know, if you haven't rowed or been around rowing, you don't realize that it's an actual community. And that's another cell that I think would be really attractive to so many people. By the time you start training at the beginning of the season in May, by the time you get through the regatta itself, there is a real sense of rowing community. It's something that I didn't really realize what I was getting myself into when we rowed that year, but it is yeah. a real thing that is really attractive if people understood it. Well, I mean, Pat, you know, it's, it's up from, from being hockey. I mean, it's, that's a, 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 in the Southern Zone Association. Anybody who played hockey at any level, you always stayed friends with these people. Well, this down here is no different. You've got more people here to, to associate with, you know, and it's a, I've got lifetime friends that I've got here since I've sat around. I'm still friends with them, and, I, you know, will always be friends with them. Now, we've had fellas that we fought with, but guess what? Now today we're laughing at them, and we're, and we're, uh, we're, we're all friends again. So it's just part of the sport. It's part of the variable of the sport. You know, it's a it's a real good avenue for, for all this community work that we're doing. So I think it's great. One just idea I throw at the committee is, you know, it's great to have the old rivalries, but you can create some new ones based on old rivalries, you know, whether it be a race that has the the Felians and the Guards and the Celtics and the Caps and whoever, you know, the old club yeah. spirit, that would get some guys back on the pond too, I think. Uh, it's good to have you, you know. on the show this morning, Campbell. Anything else you'd like to say from Kitty Vitty before no. we say goodbye? No, boy, no, Pat. Look, everyone come down and see the sport. If you got any ideas about, about rowing, give me a call. you got my number. You tell them to call me. We'll get them in. We've got coaching clinics down there now. we got young people that's staring. we got all kinds of stuff for everybody. It's all sizes and people that want to come down. And We're just trying to you know, keep our sport alive. And you know, It's a great avenue to, like you said, to get yourself fit. We've we got everything here for you right now. It, it wasn't there when I was when I rode. It was just jumping the boat with a pair, a pair of rubber boots on and go on. And now it's not like that at all. We got clinics and rowing clinics and coxswain clinics and everything. So it's a bit for everybody. So it's really terrific. I'm not done with it. I'm really going to put together a crew to row with, row with my own sons, which I think will be something else. Uh, good to have you on the show. Congratulations on joining the board as the new director. And uh, see you around. All right, buddy. Thanks. Appreciate Thanks. the call. Thanks, Campbell. All the best. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. He's uh, the Boathouse Director at the Royal St. John's Regatta. Campbell Fien, Rowan Legend, Hall of Famer, six championships. Not bad. Let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, Lynn's got a couple of questions about the boat limits in the recreational food fishery. Don't go away.
Welcome back. Let's go to line number one. Good morning, Lynn. You're on the air. Good morning, Patty. I was wondering uh, if you could, uh, you read out something there about six weeks ago about the bag limit for the recreational fishery and using your own discretion. I wonder if you could tell me where you found that or if you could read it out again for the listening public. To hear. I can read out a portion of it. It's a fairly lengthy email. And this is not just people taking guesses or what they've heard in conversation. This is from the senior compliance officer at DFO. So this is the, this is the landscape here. The, the, the conversation always began with it's five fish per person, 15 per boat, right? Now, DFO is clear in saying they do not want people bringing in more than those numbers, five per person, 15 per boat. But there's nothing in legislation that says you can't bring in more. So the issue is if I have five people fishing on my vessel and we bring in five each, I'm not going to be charged. But they say if they see these regulations being abused, that they have the wherewithal to stop the recreational food fishery in its tracks. So the recommendation is five per person, 15 per boat, but five people in a boat can bring in five each and not be charged. But they do offer a caveat that they do not want that to be the go-to. That's the basics of it. Okay, okay, that explains some. So I looked for it myself and I couldn't find it on there. But anyway, you've explained it. And uh, hope people get the message this time. Yeah, I don't want to propagate the fact that all I need to do is flick all hands in the boat. We can all get our five. Because I don't want to be sharing messages that may see problems. And not so far as people getting charged. But what happens if all of a sudden DFO says, well, okay, your 39 days is now 30 days next year. And now we're going to put it in legislation that if it's five people bringing 25, we're going to see charges. So they want people to play by what they put forward as the guidelines. But you're not going to get charged if five people bring in 25. Oh, good, good. That's what the question was, basically, to get the understanding of that. But I thank you very much for your help, and you and your audience have a great day. The same to you, Lynn. Thanks for the call. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. All right, let's keep going. Line number two, Daryl, you're on the air. Oh, hi, Patty. How are you doing today? Not too bad, you? Oh, I'm doing good. Uh, thanks, uh, Patty. Well, I'm calling, but uh, <clears throat> I heard the story here recently. Uh, well, as we know... Uh, Bell Line is going to be installing tar- uh, towers down in Labrador, uh, uh, southern Labrador, uh, to 694 households. And uh, so, any apparently this gentleman down there, I can't remember his first name, is Mr. Burt. His, his company's called Tech- uh, Technology Big Link. And he put a bid in to do all that way, way lower than Bell Line. And apparently, he didn't get a look in and never got no response back why he didn't get the opportunity to explore uh, that avenue. And uh, as we know now, uh, Rogers went down right across the country there recently, and that was what, about 40% of Canadians lost all connections, I think. I stand to be corrected. But but here's a case where uh, the money's going to bail. Yes, I agree with Internet to everybody across Canada. Everybody should have access. That when we're putting money into these big companies, uh, our taxpayers' dollars, they're turning around and then charging us and actually probably being gouged to a point. And, and we still got limited competition. And uh, so this is a situation where this gentleman never got a look in. And uh, I suppose you could look into it further yourself and probably get him on your show. But it's, uh, but it's interesting when I heard about that, that scenario. It's, it's terrible when you look at it. 
The problem starts with how the tenders are written. And we've had this conversation with the uh, representatives of Rock Networks and the other provider that's in Labrador, and why don't we consider Starlink, all of these types of things. But it begins right. and ends with how the tender is written. The smaller players outside the big three, they say that the way it's written, generally speaking, means towards adopting Rogers or TELUS or... Uh, what's the other one? Rogers, tell us. Uh, and, Bell. and Bell, pardon me. I mean, that's yeah. what I deal with. So that's the beginning, beginning of the problem. You know, when I see someone do some math on it, what it's going to cost to deal with Bell or Rogers or Telus versus Rock Networks versus the other provider that's already in Labrador, the name of the company eludes me, versus if people were given some money, cash on the barrel head to go ahead and get Starlink. I'm not really sure why we're going down the road we're going down, to be honest with you, Daryl. Yeah, and uh, I agree with you, Patty. Uh, yeah, this sort of company's technology big link. He's down in Labrador. His name is, I uh, can't remember his first name, Mr. Burton. I, I heard there recently, and uh, he addressed that issue. We worked through all probably to get him on the show, but, but you are right. There, there's a, uh, there's terrible flaws here, and uh seems like the big guys are getting uh, all the pieces of the pie, and the smaller guy is not getting a look in for whatever was happening. And you look at, like, Starlink, for example, uh, Elon Musk, I mean, uh you don't have to wait for towers to be built. They, he could put you could put the satellites right in there, and you got it instantly. So I don't understand like why they're, that's not being looked at. Plus the other ones, just like the rock one and the technology big link. So uh, so it's, uh, it's, uh, it's too bad because I mean we need more competition because if we don't get more competition, we're probably paying about the we're one of the highest in the world. If I stand to be corrected compared to Europe and Asia and all other places and. I'm not sure about the United States as such, but I think we're probably about one of the highest in the world when you look at it. Well, in the modernized world, in the G20, for telecom services in full, we pay more than any other country as far as I know. Certainly for our cell phone bill specifically, data packages for your cell phone were way out of whack. I was recently right. in the U.K. Man, the amount they pay versus the amount I pay would drive you right around the bend. So in full for high-speed broadband, I don't know the comparative numbers off the top of my head, but I have wondered aloud many times on the show, but, you know, does it always boil down to government as well? Because as an individual, I can choose to go with Starlink. So I don't know why more and more people don't do it if they think it suits their needs, where they live, price point and otherwise, and the, the way that you use uh, the Starlink uh, package. Like, I don't know. I've never used it, so I don't really know. But uh, the, the way, uh, I'll just summarize it with this and I'll let you wrap it up. For the government, they just need to be more open to understanding that there's other providers out there that can do the job, but they might not have the deep pockets and the infrastructure in place that the Rogers, the Telus, and the Bells do. But that doesn't mean that they can't be an active member in curing the access issue for high-speed uh, broadband, especially in rural Canada. I'll give you the last uh, th comment before we say goodbye, Daryl. Uh, yeah, no, not a problem. No, Patty, you, you summed it up uh, right on the mark there. Uh, I can't uh, do any better on what, how you just summed it up. But, uh, but what we got to do, we got to let the little guys like this uh, uh, technology big link and uh, hopefully you probably get him on your show maybe and uh, and have his input there and uh, be nice. But uh, but if we don't allow this, like it's going to get worse and worse. And, you know, the way things are now, the cost of living and so forth, uh, I mean, we, we, we got to try to get things under control. But the problem here in Canada, too, Patty, uh, why gather in general and all aspects and all services, like for anyone try to get into Canada and, and even do within domestic, is too much red tape. I, I hear it all too often. So we we got we to open up the market more, cut the red tape, and at the end of the day, everybody will benefit. Appreciate the time this morning. Thanks for the call. All right. Uh, 
Okay, thanks, Patty. Thanks for having me on your show, and all the best to you and your listening audience. Same thanks to you. Take care. Thank you. Hardy. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, let's keep rolling here. Let's go to line number three, Ron, you're on the air. Yes, Patty. I, I know we only got a few minutes of news break, so you kick me off whenever we get to that point. So no I'll try to squeeze this out pretty quick here. Um, I got a question for you. Yeah. If you went down, or you're probably going to go by the lake. How much would you expect to pay for a bottle of water today at the lake? I'd be shocked if I could get one for less than six bucks, I'm going to guess. How about nine? Not buying it. <laughs> me, uh, me and the wife brought our two friends down la- uh, Tuesday night, went to the beer tent for a beer, uh, $9. So I just wanted to give people a heads up. Like, I, I'd be prepared for four or five bucks, hoping to get it for two or three, you know, whatever, right? In the beer tent, I couldn't believe it. My friends, one is from Bermuda, one is from New York. I, like, I was embarrassed. Uh, uh, so the wife said, up, I said, like, the, the water is nine bucks, right? Is, and uh, she's, no, don't buy it. I said, no, you know, I wouldn't buy a bottle of water. But I said, no, no, no. He said, you don't get one bottle, you get two bottles, right? So if you do the math on it, it's like $108 a case. You know, and I was in the States one time, and there was in, in a hurricane, water ran out and everything. People were selling cases of water for $100, and the governor of the state went cracked, you know, because they were gouging people. Now, I know I, I'm a townie. I go down there every year. I spend my money. You know, I try to put that round ring over the square block that <laughs> I've never, ever seen anyone put it over Sucker. there. Sucker. I throw the dart at the balloon and get, like, a keychain that's worth, like, probably a half a cent, you know, to make and... You know, try to win my wife a little stuffed toy or something like that. But Do you uh, go to the fish pond? I've done the fish pond, yeah. That's another favorite of mine, yeah. Did a, get a roach clip with a feather on it? <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> and um, can't, can't find the crown anchor anymore. No, they're uh, not around. Yeah, yeah. I was a little bit of a con artist back in the day myself. I used to have the bucket of water when I was a kid and uh, had a little egg cup in the bottom and dropped the coin. I don't know if you've ever seen that one or not. But, I, uh, I have, yeah. Yeah, hands off the table. The water and mix the salt around so the coin wouldn't drop straight, right? So, (laughs) and uh, but anyway, I just want to give people a heads up. If you head to the beer tent uh, and you can't buy one bottle of water, you got to buy two, so you're stuck on the nine bucks, right? So it's two for nine. You get yeah. If you want one bottle of water, you can't get one bottle. You got to buy two, and it's nine dollars for two. Oh well, that's not quite as atrocious as I thought. Even though four fifty is still a fairly dear price to pay for a bottle of water, and it's going to be a hot day, so I imagine people will, as frustrated as they might be, are going to go ahead and buy the four fifty dollar bottle of water. I uh, appreciate the time this morning, Ron. Thanks hey, for the call. If you want one bottle, though, you can't buy one bottle. You got to buy two. So you're stuck for the nine bucks. We bought the two bottles, and we just left one there, right? So. And did you did you say that one of your friends is here from New York and was shocked with the prices? And New York and Bermuda, they were just thrown back that the bottle of water cost the same price as the beer kind of thing, right? No, I'm not trying to be saucy, but they can spare me. I've been to both places. Wicked expensive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Ron. One last little thing. The sure. midget. The, the, I know you're going to news. I told you. I'll let no you problem. Uh, the, one of the changes Campbell talked about, I can see the changes coming up too in uh, Colin Teams' midget teams and that. That's, that's going to be going to, I'd say, pretty soon. Yeah, I don't know what's going to change. I mean, it's changed, for instance, in hockey when we had the Adam Peewee Bantam midget. That's all yeah. gone to U9, U11, da 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 da. I can see that happening at the lake too. Maybe so. Maybe so. Yeah. Okay, thank you, Patty. Thanks, Ron.
Bye-bye. All the best. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, let's take a break for the newscast. Uh, when we come back, how are we doing in the queue there, David? We'll be speaking with you. Don't go away. Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break. Welcome back to the program. Well, sometimes when I hear gut check is in relationship to getting ready for Game 7 of the playoffs. This is a different gut check. Joining us on line number one is the CEO and co-founder of Nucleic Biologics Incorporated. That's Dr. Nikita Kendiala. Uh, let's get the right clicker. Good morning, Dr. Kendiala. You're on the air. So, yeah, uh, hi, Patty. Uh, it's uh, great to be on the show today. Uh, happy to have you on. I've seen someone who I, I'm friends with has been working with the Genesis Center towards some of these types of programs, including Gut Check and Nucleic Biologics. Tell us what Gut Check is from your company. So uh, Gut Check is a microbiome uh, test. Uh, it is the first uh, microbiome test which is provided here in Canada. Um, so this test helps people to understand uh, what is their uh, gut microbiome status. Is. When I say gut microbiome, it is uh, the, mainly the bacteria that is present in you. Uh, why you have to care about your bacteria which is present in you is uh, it helps you digest your food, synthesize your vitamins, and interacts uh, or plays a major role in uh, mood and energy levels. So all this impacts on a day-to-day life. Uh, and uh, the other aspects of learning uh, about microbiome is you will be able to understand any disease risk involved with your microbiome. Uh, uh, we are also uh, giving information on uh, the metabolic diseases like obesity, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, uh, non-alcoholic fatty disease. Uh, the others are the rheumatoid arthritis. So there is a l- lot of uh, preventive uh, measures that uh, you can take uh, based on this test. And uh, also you will understand how you can correct your microbiome if there is any imbalance that is more of a bad bacteria um, uh, by taking the food. So we'll give a precise food recommendations that is uh, specific for you. So uh, this is all about gut check. And more to it, you will also understand the gut potential, like the symptoms of uh, any uh, sleep disorders associated with, which is uh, related to mental health or the physical endurance. Um, uh, that is associated with the microbiome and the digestive health uh, and also the immune health. So these are all the other uh, elements that uh, we provide in our uh, report uh, when you get this uh, gut check test. For the lay person, what's the difference and how do we find or distinguish the difference between good and bad bacteria? So uh, the key for any uh, gut bacteria or the composition is uh, the diversity. Um, and if the, even if it's a good bacteria and if it's in more in numbers, it definitely won't uh, help you. Uh, and uh, uh, the more diverse uh, your gut uh, bacteria is, the more helpful it is. And uh, uh, we will provide the information on uh, uh, the types of bacteria that is present in the, the gut micro- in your gut microbiome. So that is very well listed out between if you have any beneficial bacteria, if you have any pathogenic bacteria, uh, and how is your uh, diversity score in general, and how you can improve it to improve your overall health. So understanding the bacterial composition is one thing. Does the same composition in my gut have the same implications as, as if you had the exact same bacterial compo- uh, composition in yours? You know, you hear people talk about, well, I have a very active or quick metabolism or what have you. So does one bacterial composition equal across the board, person to person? No. Every microbiome, like every person's microbiome is unique to themselves. Okay. Since you ha- you'll get your microbiome from your mother or how you were 
uh, your child, uh, your birth process was, and it eventually grows with you uh, according to the food you take, the the lifestyle you have, the exposure, the environment uh, you are you lived in. So it just grows with you. Uh, so it is unique to you, and it can get disturbed when you get uh, have uh, what do you say when you have treatments, drug treatments, uh, or you're continuously having a junk food, uh, which can disturb or disrupt this microbiome, and that's where the initial initiation of several other uh, issues, the health issues that can occur. So we're not talking about pharmaceutical intervention. We're simply talking about our diet, are we? Uh, can you repeat that, please? Uh, we're, we're not talking about a pharmaceutical intervention here. We're simply talking about our diet? Uh, no, we are, we are talking about uh, both. Uh, that okay. is, uh, if you have any, uh, like, a lot of junk food, you, will, you tend to grow the bacteria, which only feeds on uh, the junk food, which are uh, the types of bacteria which won't help you. And the others is uh, uh, the antibiotics. If you take in any antibiotics, it will definitely disturb your microbiome. And uh, since you're taking antibiotics to treat some infection, it won't uh, not only affect your bad bacteria, but also affect the good bacteria in you. So you will able to understand by taking this test, uh, what is your uh, microbial status is. So that if you lost any beneficial bacteria, you can uh, work on gaining that back by using the diet or the probiotics. Yeah. Okay. What's involved in the, te in the test? Is this a clinical setting required, or what happens if I go to get this gut check test? So when you get this test, you just order it online. You will receive it at home. So this is a home testing kit. Uh, you just collect the stool sample and uh, send it back to our lab. Uh, we provide the prepared envelope uh, as well. And once, you, once we receive the sample, uh, we process the sample and uh, analyze the data. And we provide you with a uh, gut check report uh, of your yeah, gut. Where can I go to get this done? I think you're here in St. John's today, are you? Yes, we are. Uh, I would I would just pass on to um, uh, Patrick uh, to talk more about um, what we are doing today here in St. John's, uh, considering what's uh, happening uh, in terms of regatta. So we are putting our pre-orders on. Uh, uh, Patrick is our uh, business officer. So you, uh, I'll just pass the phone on to him uh, so that he can talk more. Thank you, Dr. Candala. Hi, how's it going? Hi, Patrick. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So where are you? What are you doing uh, along Kitty Bitty Lake today? Yeah, so we are excited to be down at the regatta here. So as Nikki may have mentioned, we have pre-orders that just started for our gut check kits here. Uh, we Over the winter, we did all of our trials. We got our Health Canada approval. So now we're really excited to be able to offer the kits to the general public. So we're just down here. We have a booth set up close to the Kitty Bitty Beer Tent there. Uh, and we're just uh, having some great conversations with people, talking about their gut health, answering questions that they have about their microbiome uh, in our gut check kits as well. So uh, we just sort of spoke to the doctor about what's involved in the test. What's the cost associated with the test? Yeah, so the, the regular cost for the kit is going to be two twenty nine. However, for the month of August, where we're doing our pre-orders uh, with shipments going up before the end of the month, we're offering a pre-order rate of one ninety nine per kit. And what kind of follow-up is involved? Because it's one thing for me to do a test now, even with interaction with, say, my, my physician, my family doctor. It's the ongoing continuity of care and making sure I'm on the right track. So is there retesting down the line to see that I have indeed changed my bacterial composition? Or what happens after the initial test, the initial report? 
Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, it'll take some time. Um, so if you take a look at our food recommendations there, if you make those changes, implement any of the suggestions in that, um, either from looking at the report or consulting your physician there, um, it does take a little bit of time for any change in the microbiome to happen. But, yeah, it is recommended that you would retake the test after a few months there uh, to, to see what changes and what progress you've made there uh, over the course of three or four months. Some of the advent in the business world, even when we're talking about the health sciences, is some way to even, for instance, use an app so that I can have a little bit of interaction, not necessarily directly with the company, but some real-time feedback to see where I am, what I'm doing, ongoing suggestions, motivational stuff, that kind of thing. Is that applied through uh, Nucleic Biologics? Yeah, absolutely. That's something we're working on. So today, we uh, once we get the uh, the sample there and prepare your report, we send you, it's about a 50-page report, so it's super in-depth there covering uh, everything Nikki talked about there. Uh, all the insights into your uh, physical and mental health there, the food recommendations and that. Um, but, of course, we are working on an application as well, so you can have that uh, as another option in the near future too. Appreciate you making time. Welcome to St. John's. Hopefully enjoy the regatta and get some people dropping by to your booth. Awesome. Thank you for having us. Appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, Patrick. All the best. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. The bacterial composition of my stomach, in some respect, I don't, I don't know but I probably should. Let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, we're going back down to the pond for a chat, and then Richard's also in the queue, wants to talk about cataracts, and then we're going to be speaking with you. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Back to the pond. Why not? By Let's go. Line number two. Say good morning to the former president of the Royal St. John's Regatta. That's Brad Power. Good morning, Brad Power. You're on the air. Hello, Patty. How are you today? Happy Regatta Day. Happy Regatta Day to you. Someone just sent me a note that the race that I was anticipating today, the 1050 for women's crews rowing the fast course, or the long course, Versa wrote it in 10:26. What a time, Patty! What a time! Now I, I'm at the, uh, the the Higgins Marquis, so I can't really see the clock over there. But I, I had no doubt that they'd row under 10. They're a phenomenal, phenomenal crew, and uh, what a historic race today! Right, the first four uh, four female crews or women's crews rather rowing that long course, and it's uh, long overdue. Happy to be part of the group that brought it forward, and uh, so proud to see those four crews out there. Uh, making history here today at the uh, 204th anniversary Royal St. John's Regatta. Yeah, look, I think it's brilliant personally. And someone just sent me a note that says the unofficial time is 10.26. And I knew they were a couple of minutes quicker than the next their arrival in that race. And you can see the staggering of the four boats. So just crushed Amazing. it. I mean, that, that's yeah. some time. As someone who has never been in a boat to break 11, <laughs> man. Absolutely. So good. And, and some phenomenal rowers on those teams, you know. Oh. It's, uh, it's one thing to be part of that historical race, but there's so much history in those boats. Uh, you know, you look at the Waddens and, and that crowd, it's just absolutely phenomenal to see them out there making history today. And uh, and they should be very, very proud of that uh, that performance. 10.26, my God, that's a great time. That is a super fast uh, spin. Let's just, I'm going to try to bring it up here, the 10.50 race. So, yeah, you say Katie Wadden, she's actually uh, the stroke for Verso. So, and I mean, some legendary uh, rowers in that boat. Listen, Devereaux's in the boat. Connie Duff is And Nancy Beaton. I mean, these are people that are named, are household names down on the pond. So, bravo. And congratulations to all four crews. Without question, they are part of historic uh, happenings on the pond today. So, Brad, it's just good to see it back in so-called normal fashion with the vendors, concessions, and the crowds the way we like them and the numbers of races on the pond. It's just something that I think you were robbed of as president. And I know that's nothing you can do about it, but, you know, just reflect on the fact that you had to navigate those regattas and no regatta when you were the president because just so much goes into it and it's such a culmination Absolutely. of energy and effort that happens on the first Wednesday, in this case Thursday, in August. 
Yeah. Well, Paddy, I was very lucky, of course, as you know, and uh, some of your listeners know that, um, you know, I've been involved with the Regatta Committee almost eight years now, and uh, seven of those years I played senior roles. Um, you know, I was the vice president and captain of the course for the 200th anniversary. The next year with the Trudeau visit, I was captain of the course then. And, of course, being the COVID president, um, I took great honour in that. Because sure. that was some of the uh, toughest, uh, toughest two years that we faced in a long, long time. And we got through them, uh, showed that we're a very resilient organization. And uh, lo and behold, here we are today with, uh, you know, 18 races, um, uh, you know, two championship races. And still we've got 100 and almost 150 vendors down here. It's just phenomenal to see everybody's come back. And as I was out in the boat this morning, I got a real good view of the entirety of the lake. There are thousands of people here. Absolutely thousands of people. And, you know, even for Regatta Eve, to see five, 6,000 people show up again, you know, we really are back to normal. And, of course, there's still people walking around being very careful, keeping their physical distance and so on. But uh, in the grand scheme of things, you know, COVID, uh, there's, COVID's not on anybody's mind down here today. It's all about the races and the garden party and maybe the Kitty Vitty Beer tent a little bit later this afternoon. Possibly so. So I think the championship races are a little earlier this year than in years past. Am I right? Uh, no, no, same time, okay. 6.30 and 7 o'clock. Yeah, we've got the Sterling Communications International Women's Championship at 5.30 and the Come Home Year Men's Championship at 7. So uh, this year, the uh, the women raced first in the uh, championship. Oh, that's what it is. And they, yeah. also, yep, they also raced first uh, this morning, and that rotates each year. So the first, uh, first two races this year were uh, for senior women, and uh, the first championship will be senior women, and the men went to race uh, three and four, and we'll go the last race tonight. And the uh, next year it'll swap, and we'll do the the absolute opposite. Have the and, championship uh, a, uh, six stakes been set? Into. Oh, sorry about that, Brad. No, I was saying this is uh, that's a change we brought in a number of years ago under the direction of uh, past president Chris Neary, and uh, really, you know, it's all about equality. And sometimes, uh, you know, the hardcore rowers certainly understand that the best ponds are that early, early race, and sometimes the best pond is the last race of the night. And we wanted to make sure that everybody had equal access to that. Uh, so that rotation that was brought in about uh, four or five years ago, and uh, it's been received very, very well, I must say. Maybe I thought the races were earlier this year because in years past when I covered it, it felt like the races didn't happen until midnight. It was such a long day. <laughs> well, you know, the funny thing about it, Patty, is that the many crews over the years have tried to delay that race because sometimes between the difference between 7 p.m. and 7.05 p.m. could be five kilometers an hour of wind. And they wait and wait and wait. And sometimes years ago, back in the 80s and 90s, it got to the point where they had to pull cars down to the front of the pond and have the lights turned on. It used to get so dark. so right? and, and, of course, they wanted to get the best time, get those extra couple of seconds. And it worked in many instances. Now, the Regatta Committee wasn't too happy about it because everything was delayed. We could barely see who was winning. But at the, in the grand scheme of things, uh, you know, there were some dead heats that were in the almost the dark of night. So it's, uh, we won't see that tonight, I promise you. We're, we're going to make sure it goes off uh, on time. And uh, we've, uh, the draw will take place later this afternoon for the championship kegs. Um, but uh, I don't know exactly who's going to be in those races just yet because I haven't sit down and looked at the times, but the two championship races are pretty much set now. And, yeah, they uh, generally are. Shell draw, that'll be, uh, be locked in then. Yeah, and you know, sometimes uh, that delay in getting on the pond for the championship was people eyeing records. Now, I don't think there's any exactly. records in Jeopardy today. You know, M5's 456 and then the Crosby 851. They're safe this year by the look of it. I think so, too. Yeah, but that's it. You know, those records are made to be broken, but probably not this year. It's good to have you on the show, Brad. Enjoy your regatta day. My pleasure, and happy regatta day to you, too, Patty. Take care. And if it doesn't go perfectly, we can just blame Brad Power. Absolutely. See you, my friend. Okay, buddy. All the best. Brad Power, past president of the Royal Central House Regatta. Uh, let's go to line number three. Richard, you're on the air. Good morning, Patty. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thanks for asking, Richard. How about you? 
Oh, well, I, I think I could be feeling better. I'm kind of frustrated. I'd like to relate a bit of story to you where they were talking about doctors today and uh, referring uh, to St. John's, let's say. Um, first, my eye doctor. Uh, I go every year for, for tests because of diabetes. And I was informed that uh, my eye doctor doesn't do any eye surgeries anymore. He's one of three that has given up eye surgeries, and uh, they have been replaced. The government has replaced three eye doctors with one. So then I go to my wife. She was having trouble with her eyes. So we went to get her eyes tested and new glasses. And uh, her eye doctor, a different doctor, said she had cataracts and referred her to a doctor for cataract surgery. That was two years ago. So anyway, we checked with the doctor and he said it well, the receptionist said it would probably be two years. You're looking at August, month before she'd probably get any surgery. And in her interim, she went to the Health Science Center for tests and what have you. So anyway, uh, Monday, we had an appointment at Health Science for more tests. So we went for the tests and uh, they said no, we didn't it was a mistake and error. We didn't need the test that she had uh, had that done in April with measurements. So we went to see Dr. A and I inquired with the receptionist that um I understand all the eye information is here, and my wife is waiting for surgery. Uh, when when would it? When is that going to happen? We understood it might be in August, and we're in August now, and we haven't been notified. She said, "Well, you're looking at six months to a year." I said, "Another six months to a year." Oh, geez. I said, uh, if 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 uh, you were to pay cash for the doctor to do it on a weekend or in overtime, what would it cost and would he do it? She said, well, I don't know. I'd have to inquire with the doctor. I said, well, on average, how much would it cost? She said, well, not counting the lens that would be required, it would be $1,500 an eye. I said, okay, inquire with Dr. A and see if he would do it for cash, week, weekend or overtime or whatever. And let us know if, if the price changes and whatever, plus the lens that he would recommend. So I said, uh, we just don't want to go on any further. I said, it's very frustrating. My wife is putting like 
uh, utensils and dishware in the wrong places and stuff where she can't see. So I said, uh, we'd like to move ahead with this. So uh, that's fine. So anyway, that was in the morning. That afternoon, we got a call from a clinic, Dr. B's office, and they said, we received all your wife's information and understand you're interested in paying cash, and uh, we'll be getting in touch with you. So <laughs> it's not just medical problems. Even when you have a doctor, you're looking at two years waiting and still still going around, a check with insurance, and the insurance don't cover cataract surgery with at all. So all the cash does is moves you in another position than with MCP. So it may cost you more than MCP would pay the doctor, and he may do it then in overtime or weekends or whatever. I can't say. I don't know. But in hindsight, looking at the time and, and the exams and what we're, we've gone through, I would have took her medical exams, her eye results from health science, and went and inquired in Halifax about it and went up there. I mean, uh, when you can't see and can't really get around and being in, in the, your 70s, I mean, you can fall down the stairs or trip up or whatever. So, I mean, uh, it's just not physicians that uh, that we have uh, issues with. It's, it's eye doctors and, and probably hearing as well. Understood, so Richard. Knows? How has her condition deteriorated during this wait? Well... It, it gets worse because, like, the spoons are put with knives and knives with forks and 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 what have you. So uh, it has deteriorated and gotten worse. There's no doubt about it. But uh, you'd have to have the results of the exams and the measurements to know how much. Mm-hmm. But it's certainly frustrating when you see that her glasses aren't doing the job that they should do, and things are put in the wrong place and stuff because she can't can't see. I, I'm sorry to hear of your troubles and these delays. The unfortunate issue is that there's so many people in the same boat, even on the province's west coast. There's so many people on the wait list. But they're talking about, you know, there's X capacity that could be handled as opposed to making sure that everyone that can be attended to as quick as possible as opposed to a set number that they're able to do per day, per week. So I'm sorry to hear what's happening with you and your wife, Richard. Would you like to say anything quickly, sir, before I have to say goodbye? Well, I understand there's over a 1,000 on the waiting list, and, and on, I guess in the province, and that... Uh, there was a clinic on uh, on the news that said they could clean up the backlog, and the Minister of Health said 
they never had any intention of giving it to the private sector. Right, because there are a couple of private clinics out there, and it wasn't so long ago they were being taken to task by then-Minister Hagee, uh, Minister of Health Community Services, John Hagee, about, you know, being in contravention of the Canada Health Act and stuff, when, hey, look, if we can have a private clinic, bill MCP, clear the backlog, uh, backlog up quick as possible, that sounds like the right approach to me. Richard, I appreciate your time. I wish well, you and your wife well. One well. more quick comment. I, I reach out to the new health minister, Mr. Osman, and ask him to give the matter his attention when he gets a chance to. I appreciate that, and I can put that question to him on your behalf, sir. Thank you. Take good care. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. It is indeed uh, time for a news break. When we come back, the Mayor of Carboneer, Frank Butts, in the queue to talk about forest fires in his area. Don't go away. Nutrition, exercise, keeping the cold at bay. Whatever keeps you feeling great, the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number four. Good morning to the mayor of the town of Carboneer. That's Frank Butt. Mayor Butt, you're on the air. Good morning, Patty, and thank you for taking my call. Happy to do it. Patty, as you may know, uh, Tuesday we had a bit of a forest fire in the town of Carboneer. I just want to uh, publicly thank uh, the individuals and groups that helped uh, extinguish the fire. And I'll start off with, uh, of course, the Carboneer Volunteer Fire Department. Uh, we've been here since 1841, and... Uh, Every time there's a call for an emergency situation, we're, we're always there to help, and, and uh, we will certainly will continue. Uh, once we got the call, we realized that we needed uh, some mutual aid from our uh, neighbors to the north, so we called upon uh, the Victoria Volunteer Fire Department as well as Samuco Volunteer Fire Department. And uh, after about six hours, we were able to, you know, make sure that the fire was extinguished to uh, the best that we could do. And, uh, you know, it takes a lot of people, a lot of groups to, to help, uh, you know, put up an event uh, to like this to is extinguished and the, the people are safe. And also, you know, the RCMP as well as Newfoundland Power, they all played a part. So when you get five or six groups together and, and working as one group, things can get done. So I just wanted to publicly uh, thank those involved, people who provided food, uh, snow cones, because it was, certainly was a hot day. But uh, I just wanted to publicly thank everyone because, uh, you know, we can't do it ourselves. We all have to work together, and uh, we certainly showed that there on Tuesday. Well, uh, I'm sure they're glad that you're offering your thanks to them here on the show this morning. What was the impact in the community? How close was the fire? Well, it was, it was near the road. We were lucky that the uh, Veterans Memorial Highway was, was sort of the uh, the, uh, the fire block because uh, the wind was coming from the from the west, and uh, there were some businesses in the area. Dairy Queen and Canadian Tire certainly were, were uh, in the line in the path of the fire. And uh, we certainly prevented that from getting down to those buildings. And also, Earl's uh, riding horses is, uh, was to the to the north, and uh, we certainly, you know, we're on, we were there in case that the winds did change and started to go that way. And there were some residential businesses, uh, some residential uh, uh, people there as well up in the on Clark's Road. So, uh, you know, uh, the road Veterans Memorial was was closed off. There was a little bit of inconvenience, but certainly, you know. Nothing near what it could have been. So I just, uh, you know, like I said, we all work together. So it, it was a good thing of a bad. Absolutely. And the fires are so unpredictable. Just a change in the wind and it gets a little drier. The next thing you know, where you thought the fire was contained and not heading in your direction, here it comes gangbuster. So I'm glad it worked out this time. We're also appreciative of the help we're getting from the province of Quebec with some of their crews and water bombers and some other tactical uh, firefighters that are making their way here. That's going to be a big help. I'm glad it worked out for you. And thanks for this this morning, Mayor. And also, uh, Patty, uh, we sure. also had the ground crew from the government of Newfoundland Labrador Forestry, as well as the, as the fire, uh, the 
fire bomber. So uh, we, we all worked together, as I said, and, and it was all good. And Paddy, before I go, I just want to uh, congratulate the uh, St. John's uh, or the uh, Regatta Committee on their 204th uh, annual uh, St. John's Regatta. I hope that they have a successful day. I'm sure they will. The weather looks to be pretty good there now. And uh, and if you ever get a chance to come to Carabineer, i, I got to put a plug in for our town. Uh, you know, uh, August month is very busy. Uh, if everyone wants to check out what's on the go, go to carbonier.ca or check out any of our social media sites and you'll find out there's lots to do in Carbonier and uh, good things are happening in Carbonier as well. Absolutely. Love the town. I appreciate your time this morning, Mayor Bot. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Patty. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. Uh, very quickly, we are just talking to the past president of the Royal St. John's Regatta, Brad Power, and I got this note just too late to offer our congratulations to Brad and his bride-to-be, Holly. They're getting married this weekend, so that's terrific. Uh, let's go to line number two. Good morning, Paul. You're on the air. Uh, good morning, Matt. Patty. I'm calling from uh, a Newfoundland and Labrador housing unit on Wintermore Court, Building 11. Our elevator has been at a commission here now since 7 o'clock uh, Tuesday evening. And it's very frustrating for residents and myself in the building who ha- who live on the second and third floors. I live on the third floor. I'm visually impaired. I'm mobility impaired. And there's a couple of people in the building that have wheelchairs and a couple of seniors that uh, have COPD and that kind of thing. And it's, uh, it's a stressful time for them. So it's totally unacceptable in my view to have this situation occurring at this present time. Paul, is it the case that the elevator repair crew are on strike right now? Is that what's happening? I, I haven't. Uh, I wasn't aware of that. I called housing as well as uh, car maintenance and made them aware of the, of the situation. And I know, I know a number of other residents in the building have done the same. And all I got from, uh, well, when I called, when I called the call center, well, I got a call center. And the gentleman, he, I don't think he was even here in St. John's because he didn't know he asked for the postal code and, you know, that kind of thing, which is... And plus he asked me a whole bunch of uh, COVID-related questions. Uh, and I tried to tell him, well, you know, <laughs> to repair guy that comes in, well, I want to have no dealings with him. But I guess they just part the protocol. They got to ask him questions. But it just made... Uh, situation more frustrating you know what i mean yeah i do understand entirely uh, i just had a quick look apparently for the fourth time in 16 years the uh, repair the elevator repair fellas uh went on strike on the 20 21st of july i'm not sure what the status is now but i'm going to try to find out for you okay well that'd be great but luckily uh no one got stuck in the elevator like you know yeah. we're used we're used to the elevator breaking down it does sometimes it does two or three times a week and uh, given the age of the building and all that kind of thing is understandable, but uh, this has been, you know, like since Tuesday night, this is like totally, uh, really un- uh, unacceptable, right? So. I understand your concern, Paul. We're going to reach out to Terry French, who, of course, former PC cabinet minister and the mayor of CBS. He's actually the president of Labor Relations Association representing those workers. There's about 10 of them. They're members of the International Union of Elevator Constructors, local 125A. I'm going to see if I can get an update for you. Okay, well, thank you, and you have a wonderful day. You too, Paul. All the best. Bye now. Okay, bye-bye. You know, so we just wish Brad uh, happy nuptials upcoming this weekend, marrying his longtime partner or girlfriend holly uh here's just a very quick stat this is about age dave williams will like this one yesterday was tom brady's birthday right the winningest quarterback he's won more super bowls as a quarterback than any franchise has won he turned 45 years of age yesterday 
which is incredible to be playing quarterback at 45. There's not one player 40 years old on any NFL team, and he's 45. Let's go ahead and take a break. Don't go away. Welcome back. Let's go to line number one. John, you're on the air. Yes, hello, Patty. How are you? Doing very, very well. How about you? Uh, not too bad, boy. Right. Uh, first time, first time caller. Um, just uh, been an active listener of your show now for the last uh, couple of years, and uh, just listen to a few comments that people are making and concerns about uh, the doctor shortage and the doctor prices that we have here in Newfoundland Labrador. And uh, I just just want to ask a question: like, uh, what? is the plan for the future for, for this province in, in regards to keeping doctors and and having a, a proper healthcare system working and, and uh, in, in this province, what, the, what, 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 was, what is the government's plan? Is there That's the million-dollar question, John. I think if uh, we try to stand back and look at different attempts that the government has made in the last couple of years to try to improve the landscape you know i don't know what the real concise answer would be so it's probably a combination of they're going to have to look at compensation packages they're going to have to look at flexibility they're going to have to make sure we have new staff in these collaborative care clinics and spread them far and wide we're hoping that doctors will take up the the charge to earn the extra eight hundred dollars a day to do a shift at uh, emergency rooms in more rural parts of the province so there's no short answer to that one. And whether or not they're on the right track, I don't know. But I peruse news from different provinces on, a different, on different areas of concern, including healthcare. This is not new to us. We have tr- we've got to find a creative way, including compensation, to make this an attractive place for doctors. It's not as easy as it sounds. It's one thing to recruit a doctor to work in St. John's, another one for Cornerbrook, Gander, but then you sprinkle in the Fogel Islands of the world and Burgio and St. Anthony and parts of Labrador. It's not going to be a one-size-fits-all, but they've got to figure it out because before long, that 125,000 people without a family doctor is going to be 150. Then it's going to be 200. And at some point, we're going to be at the brink of healthcare collapse in full for a system that's already teetering. 100%, yeah. And, like, uh, I'm hearing from our government, like, uh, more immigration coming here boosts our economy. It's 100% great. We have, uh, but our healthcare, if we don't, if our people are not healthy, then we don't have an economy, right? Um, having said that, like for for doctors' voices to have them stay here, instead of looking like, for other provinces, look at other countries. For an example, as Germany and and who offer free educations to be uh, an engineer to stay here or a doctor to stay here. The the uh, the offer this when you come out of school and you are a doctor, you're committed to to stay here in Newfoundland, Labrador. And that will be an incentive of staying here. We will you have free education. Um. Yeah, we're already subsidizing their education. You know, in the province of British Columbia, they have dealt with it in a different fashion. For instance, in your second year, you're now making third-year wages. They're also dealing with some uh, servicing your debt as a graduate of a med school in the uh, province of B.C. and staying in B.C. So there's... There's creative approaches being taken in different parts of the country. I suppose we should cherry-pick some of the best plans and try to incorporate our own plan. Remember, it's not that long ago, the province was asked by the Newfoundland Labrador Medical Association, can we see your formal plan to recruit and retain doctors? The province says we have one, and then through access to information requests, turns out we don't have one. Not on paper, anyway. And at the exact same time, we were able to look at the province of Nova Scotia and their $55 million document for exactly that. So we have got to get down 
down to brass tacks and stop you know putting it together like a dog's breakfast let's get the comprehensive plan in place for all different regions of the province this is why i think the toughest job right now in this province is dr megan hayes the new deputy minister for the recruitment and the retention of healthcare professionals she has her plate full yeah, well, like I said, I was just, uh, it just don't, understand. this just don't make sense to me. Well, it's not, it's brought up on your show. Everybody got concerns. Everybody felt some way, one or the other, in our healthcare system, whether it's delays in our emergency department or waiting for an appointment or not. But uh, I think it is 100% of the crisis, but it should be at the forefront of everything discussion right now in our political system. You know what I mean? And, and we do have other stuff going on too as well you know, obviously the financial situation the inflation and 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 so forth but like i said people's health is everything in order to have a stable economy people got to get outside the door and able to go to work and uh, in order to do that again we have to see doctors and, and i think that's the foundation of everything you know yeah and we also got to talk about our own individual responsibility regarding our health which will make uh, a difference i think as well as making sure we have all the pros right through the entire gamut nurse practitioners lpns pharmacists social workers rns doctors the whole the whole kit and caboodle john i'm glad you made time as a first time caller today thanks a lot yeah thanks for having me buddy. take care all the best all right bye-bye final word of the morning of course i'm regatta today Goes to Kitty Bitty and our very own Brian Mador. Brian, you're back on the air. Hey, Patty, how are you? Doing very well, sir. How's your day going so far? Well, we just found it. Uh, Watch the historic women rowing the long course. That's the first time ever in history. And uh, Studio Verso did it. They wanted to break 1030, and they did so 10287. So, mission accomplished for Studio Verso. You should have heard the cheers around the pond before, during, and after that race. The uh, spectators just kind of pivoted to watch this race, number one, just to see, you know, if they were actually going to pull it off because it's quite the feat. You know, it's 2.45 kilometers, do that whole course. 1.22 is what they'd be used to doing, uh, you know, ever in a, ever in a day. But then uh, they uh, did this as an exhibition. They can't get into the championship race or anything like that. It was an exhibition in Studio Verso when they – uh, came into the dock, Patty. It was just a jubilant celebration uh, that they did break the 10, 1030. They did 1028, so mission accomplished. Great day here. A lot of people around, a lot of concessions. We do have the emerging story now is Typhlodrolic. They might win the uh, uh, Triple Crown of Rowing. They won in Placentia, Harbor Grace. They have a shot tonight. Uh, they had uh, They won their race this morning. NTV won the men's championship race. I think this is one of the first times in a long while we're going to have a junior crew in the championship race. We're just compiling all the information right now, and we'll get that up on the web as soon as we have that all put together. We're going to have uh, crews come within hundreds of a second of the championship race. It's uh, very competitive here. It's extraordinary. Just for context, uh, the Studio Verso, the women's team that rode the long course, they would have finished ahead of one of the crews in the first men's race of the day. In the second yeah. men's race of the day, they would have finished second, and they would have beat the, the current second-place crew by about 15 seconds. So there's how quick that time is. And, ju- and just look at the rowers there, uh, Patty. Alyssa Devereaux, Katie Wadden, uh, <laughs> Emma Ramsey, the Coxon. Like they're, they're Hall of Fame. They've been on uh, uh, Katie Wadden at least two Hall of Fame or uh, record-breaking crews. So uh, they're no slouches. I mean, these, these rowers are uh, Hall of Fa- in the Hall of Fame because of breaking 
records going under five minutes, four fifty-six in the you know the normal women's course. Well, Katie Wadden was uh, the stroke for the M5 current record holders at the four fifty-six. Alicia Devereaux was in that crew. Jane Brody has been around the pond for a long time. Nancy Beaton, Stephanie Davis, absolute brilliant rower. Connie Duffet's been down there for decades, and they got Amanda Hancock from Oz FN fame as their spare, and you know just extraordinary stuff. Congratulations to them and all four crews in the ten fifty race. Thanks for touching base with us throughout the morning, Brian. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks. And Alyssa Devereux just had a baby six months ago. All the more extraordinary. Talk to you tomorrow. Fantastic. Thanks, Brian. Here you go. That's our very own Brian Medore, Pond Side. All right. Good show today. I really appreciate the support the program gets. Of course we do. And we will indeed pick up this conversation again tomorrow morning right here on VOCM and Big Land FM's Open Line. On behalf of the producer, David Williams, I'm your host, Patty Daly. Have yourself a safe, fun, happy day. We'll talk in the morning. Bye-bye.